We are on air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Weekend Preview, presented uh, by myself and Jay Huseman. Uh, joining me now is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. And since it's Talladega Weekend, we know about the wild one. The wild one weekend it can be, and the big one. Does that mean I get to be the wild one tonight? I, I'm not sure. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, tonight we are uh, previewing both Talladega and Salem. Uh, all three series are racing at Talladega this weekend uh, in the NASCAR uh, Truck Xfinity and Cup Series. And then the Arkham Menard Series is racing at Salem, uh, which is going to be the Sioux Chief Showdown finale. So we will know who the champion is when Salem is over here. So uh, definitely looking forward to the weekend of racing. Uh, first, we're going to offer some updates from the ARCA Menard Series West. They are not racing this weekend, so we'll give you some updates there. Uh, then we're going to preview the ARCA Menard Series at Salem. Uh, and at the top of the hour, we'll get into the NASCAR Truck Series at Talladega, then the Xfinity and Cup Series at Talladega. When we're done, it'll be time for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our fan for racing crew. And tonight we have Jay as well as Mike and Tommy on board for our Hot Topic discussion. So definitely looking forward to that, Jay. I'm most certainly glad to have Tommy back in the mix. I know we've alternated uh, several different throughout the year. Uh, I know Owen's done a couple of shows as well. I know James stays pretty busy, uh, even just trying to get his race pick. He stays pretty busy, but I'd love to get him on Hot Topics once uh, in, a, in a while as well as Sal. <laughs> yeah, Sal we haven't been able to get yet. Uh, and I know that uh, James is super, super busy, so it's kind of hard to catch him. Uh, but we'll have to keep trying. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about the Arca Menard series because uh, they, uh, the Arca West is not racing this week, but they will be back on track. Uh, the Arca East, as you know, they've completed their series. Sammy Smith is their champion uh, but the Arkham Art Series West will be next on the track in the Napa Auto Care 150 presented by Burko Redwood on October the 9th at All-American Speedway, uh, a very popular track out in the West. The race will start at 7 p.m. Pacific time, but it will be 10 p.m. Eastern time and will be available via track pass on NBC Sports Gold. Or you can go to ArcaRacing.com and listen to their radio coverage uh, or their race central and follow along with everything that is going on that race. So a lot to look forward to with the West. Uh, let's talk real quick about their point standings, Jay. Well, we said that the cream rises to the top. Jesse Love picked up a couple of victories, was trying to establish himself as the front and solo runner. That changed up a little bit. The point's now down to seven points. I mentioned Jesse Love having two wins, five top tens out of the seven races so far. So far, But Jake Drew right there with him, four top fives, six top tens, seven points back. Cole Moore in, 13, in third is 14 points back. 
Joey East has a victory, five top fives and five top tens, uh, 15 back, as well as Paul Pedronasili, uh tied at 15 back as well. Huddleston, Trevor Huddleston in six is 23 back. Todd Souza, minus 33, is in seventh. Takuma Koga, Bridget Burgess, and Bobby Hillis Jr. round out the eighth through tenth spots at 53, 69, and 70 points back. Uh, those 10 drivers, top 10, have all made seven starts, all races so far here in the West Series. Yes, indeed. And I like that about the West Series, that there's so many more competitors. And it's a much tighter battle uh, between all of those 10 competitors. So uh, really excited to see how this continues to play out. Uh, as we look at their schedule, they're getting close to the end of their schedule uh, in the Arkham Menard Series West. Uh, let me go down here and just look at this real quick. Uh, we've got the race at Auto Club Speedway. I'm, I'm sorry, I said Auto Club. I mean All-American Speedway. The Napa Auto Care 150 presented by uh, Burko Redwood on October the 9th. And after that, it's the season finale uh, the Phoenix 100 at Phoenix Raceway on November the 6th. So only two more races left in the Arkham and Art Series West. Well, as if uh, all, racing at the All-American Speedway doesn't provide enough racing action, uh, that's going to be on the minds as, they, again, you're talking two races, and we saw that point shift this past race, so... I think the intensity level is going to be almost pegged here for the uh, race at All-American Speedway. Okay. Again, that race is next week. So Jay and I will be talking about this race uh, in more depth on Thursday, uh, a week from today. So definitely you'll want to tune in for that uh, so that uh, we can keep yeah, have you all prepared uh, for that penultimate race in the NASCAR Arkham Menard Series West. Okay, I know we're a little ahead of schedule here, but okay, uh, we're going to go to Salem Speedway here. Uh, it's the penultimate Arkham Menard Series race of the 21 schedule, but it's also the Sioux Chief Showdown finale at Salem, uh, and that is this weekend. Uh, they are racing at Salem Speedway. Uh, the Sioux Chief Power Packs 200, it's the Fall Classic this Saturday, October the 2nd at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on MAV-TV and also live-streamed on TrackPass on NBC Sports Gold. You can also follow along with radio coverage at ArcaRacing.com along with their Race Central with updates from the track. This is a .555-mile paved oval. They'll be racing 111 miles over 200 laps. Uh, the garage will open on Saturday at 10 a.m. They'll have practice at 3.15 and qualifying at 5.30 p.m. Again, the race starts at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So a lot to look forward to here with this, this race being the next to the last race for the Arkham Menard Series and the season finale for the Sushik Showdown, Jay. Certainly. You're crowning a champion as well as uh, maybe even determining at least uh, maybe not lock down all but the champion for the Arkham Menard Series. 
And I mentioned Salem Speedway. It's a half-mile paved oval that features the kind of high banking knowing to produce some exp- impressive speed and exciting racing. In other words, the venue in Salem, Indiana, is the perfect place for the Arkham Menard Series to settle the 2021 championship and tee up that finale for another. Okay. Uh, the Powerpex, uh, the Suchi Powerpex 200 doubles as the last race of the Suchi Showdown, a 10 race series that allows Arkham Menard Series East and West drivers a chance to compete with the Arkham Menard Series regulars for a championship on short tracks and road courses. As is the case for the overall Arkham Menard Series championship battle, this year's Sioux Chief Showdown comes down to Ty Gibbs versus Corey Hines. Well, and we've seen that all year. Gibbs is sitting pretty in both the Arkham Menard Series standings and the Sioux Chief Showdown standings entering Saturday's Salem race. He now has a larger points lead over Heim in the former series, but the latter is closer uh, for as a closer carrot for Heim to chase. Gibbs holds a 17-point edge over Heim in the showdown standings, and 18 cars appeared on the initial entry list for Saturday's race. And that means Gibbs, at age 18, simply needs to finish 17th or better at Salem to clinch his first ARCA title, which would be that Sioux Chief showdown. If Gibbs does, uh, in an unfortunate event, happen to finish last, the 19-year-old Heim would need to win at Salem to steal the showdown championship. As for the overall Arkham Menard Series uh, championship race for Heim, Saturday is all about closing the gap to Gibbs ahead of the season finale that will be at Panza Speedway on October the 23rd. Gibbs carries right now a 26-point lead in the standings. The good news for Heim is that he does have a short track win on his resume this season. He got the best of Gibbs at Minnesota's Elko Speedway in July. And the bad news for Heim is that Gibbs has three short track wins this season, including Indiana's Winchester Speedway and Bristol Motor Speedway, a pair of half-mile ovals that are very similar to Salem in their configuration. Well, and further than that, Gibbs won the last time the Arkham Menard Series raced here at Salem, which was the fall of 2019. And he did so in dominating fashion, leading 196 of the 200 laps after starting on the general tire pole. Heim will at least be able to uh, rely on the help of a couple of entering motorsports teammates at Salem. As we got both Jesse Love and Gracie Trotter are entered into uh, Venturini Motorsports Toyotas. Another driver who could challenge Gibbs and Heim for the win at Salem is Taylor Gray, who has 10 top five, finish, top five finishes in his last 11 Arkham Menard Series races. Now, Gray is coming off of back to back wins in the West Series. The entry list also features Landon Lewis, one of two drivers not named Gibbs or Heim, who has won an Arkham Menard Series race this season uh, at the Coin State Fairgrounds on September the Now, additionally, Rev Racing will field two entries at Salem with Nick Sanchez and Raja Carruth as teammates. 
So let's go ahead and cover the uh, entry list here for the Suchi PowerPex 200. Uh, we'll go bottom up, I guess. And I believe there's 18 drivers on this list. All right. In the 06, that's going to be a Wayne Peterson Ford. Driver will be a rookie A.J. Moyer coming out of Tampa, Florida. Michael Peterson will be the one calling the shots for that team. And then in the Hillenburg Ford, that'll be the Crow Wing Recycling CW Metals sponsored uh, machine of Willie Mullins out of Fredericksburg, Virginia, and Dick Dohaney in his ear. Okay. In the familiar number 69 at Salem Speedway uh, is uh, Will Kemmel from Sellersburg, Indiana. He'll be driving the Clarksville Schwinn Toyota, and Bill Kimmel will be on top of the pit box for him. Leo Kreiger is on top of the pit box for Brad Smith this week. Uh, Brad will be driving his familiar number 48, uh, Henshaw Custom Automation Chevrolet, and hails from Shelby Township, Michigan. And in that international flavor we like to see out of Quebec, Canada, will be J.P. Bergeron. He'll be in the Johnny Gray Ford, sponsored by Technoflex. Derek Smith as the crew chief. And then Sharon mentioned Landon Lewis out of Ocean Isle Beach, North Carolina. He'll be in the Mark Rett, owned and crew chief, 19th Green, sponsored Ford. And that's car number 30, sorry. And J.P. Bergeron's in number 46. I think I missed that on the two I did. Okay. Uh, in the number 27 this week is Zachary Tinkle from Speedway, Indiana. He'll be driving the Immigration, immigration Law Center Toyota uh, for David Richmond, and Wayne Peterson will be on top of the pit box. And then in the Venturini number 25 is Gracie Trotter from Denver, North Carolina. She'll be driving a Calico Coatings Toyota, and Billy Venturini will be on top of the pit box for her. The number 21 GMS Chevrolet owned by Mari Gallagher will be crew chief by Chad Bryant, and that'll be for driver Cody Swanson out of Kingsburg, California. And the number 20 Bill Venturini-owned Toyota will be Corey Heim out of Marietta, Georgia. That'll be Craftsman-sponsored with Shannon Roersch as the crew chief. In the number 8. Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota from Huntersville, North Carolina, is Ty Gibbs, and his crew chief will be Mark McFarland. Taylor Gray will be in the number 17 David Gilliland machine. He hails from Mooresville, North Carolina, and he'll be driving the Ripper Coffee Ford for uh, DGR. Chad Johnson will be on top of his pit box. Yet again, mention the Venturini machines. This one, the number 15 Mobile One Toyota. That'll be Jesse Love, your West Series points leader and defending champion, coming out of Redwood City, California, with Kevin Reed as his crew chief. And Steve Barton gets the pleasure, a crew chief in the number 12 Hillenburg Toyota. That'll be Ken Schrader out of Fenton, Missouri, on the Fast Track Racing Machine. Okay. Always like it when Ken Schrader's on the track. Another Hillenburg uh, Ford this time will be driven by Mason Mingus, the number 11 uh, Ford, will 
will be uh, sponsored by Team Construction. Mason comes from Brentwood, Tennessee, and Jeff McClure will be on top of his book, uh, uh, Pit Box. Also driving the number 10 uh, Toyota for Andy Hillenberg is Ed Pompa from Boston Spa, New York. Uh, his Toyota will be sponsored by Menards Kimmel Throwback Double H Ranch, and Mike Shroop will be his crew chief. Then we get to the pair of rev racing machines that Sharon mentioned. Glenn Parker, crew chief in the number six Chevrolet owned by Max Siegel, will be sponsored by Max Siegel Incorporated in Sunoco, driven by Rajaka Ruth, a rookie out of Washington, D.C. And then coming out of Miami, Florida, the number two driver is going to be Nick Sanchez, and that'll be the Universal Tech Institute, Max Siegel Incorporated Chevrolet. And the crew chief there will be Steve Plattenberger. Okay. This is going to be, again, a really exciting race. Uh, 200-lap race on a half-mile paved oval in Salem, Indiana. That is one of the um, staple tracks, if you will, of the Harker Menard series. Uh, And uh, it's going to be really cool to see them on the track there this weekend. Let's cover the Sioux Chief Showdown uh, point standings real quick uh, because this is their season finale, uh, and then we'll cover the Arkham Menard Series points. Okay, let's see. Sioux Chief. I want the Sioux Chief Showdown. Nope. Give me one second. I lost the Sioux Chief fonts. Oh, okay. I can hit that if you want. All right, yeah, if you would. I don't know where I moved it to. Okay, let's go with the drivers. There's six drivers, well, five drivers to all nine races. There's one driver that's only been in seven races in the top six. So we'll start from the bottom up. I'm going to go with Brad Smith in sixth place. He's he's uh, raced all nine races. He's got 232 points, and uh, he is currently in sixth place. In fifth place is Taylor Gray, uh, and all the rest of these drivers in the top five are all rookies. So uh, that's a pretty tight competition here. 277 points, seven starts. He's got two, uh, well, let's see, I guess two top uh, fives and uh, seven top tens, so that's uh, pretty good for him. Uh, At 312 points is Thad Moffat in fourth place. Uh, Again, he's raced all nine races. He's got, um, I should say, let's see, Taylor Gray actually has four-thirds, four, I'm sorry, two-thirds, two-fourths, and two-fifths. So that's six top fives and seven top tens. I I uh, misread those. Um, Dad Moffat has the three top fives and six top tens. Uh, Next is Nick Sanchez in third place at 333 points, all nine races. He's got four top fives and seven top tens. Corey Heim is your number two driver at 364 points. He's got uh, the two wins along with uh, seven top fives and nine top tens. So that's pretty impressive. 
But the number one driver with 381 points is Ty Gibbs. He's got six wins, nine top fives, and nine top tens. That's almost perfect, Jay. And you're right. As you're reading up those stat lines, each one you read, it sounded like a very phenomenal season for each of those drivers, and they are. But you got Corey Heim and then Ty Gibbs even better that have been just about perfect, as you mentioned. Uh, Nine races, two wins, all nine top tens for Corey Heim, and he is still mentioned 17 points behind Ty Gibbs. Uh, Six wins out of nine starts. That's 66%, all nine in the top Amazing. five. That's tough. That's tough to beat. Yeah, that's tough to beat and gain points on. It is, and it's just amazing uh, that we're seeing that this year. Okay, let's uh, – so we'll see what happens. We've given you what needs to happen for both Corey Heim and Ty Gibbs. Ty Gibbs doesn't want anything to go wrong this weekend. Uh, because that could ruin his chances of winning the championship. But I don't think he's had a really bad race all season long. He most certainly not. And when we switch over to look at the main Arkham Menard series, here we mentioned it, Corey Heim going to be looking to try and win the race, obviously, first and foremost, but gain points on Ty Gibbs so he has a shot going into uh, their season finale. Those two drivers are the only two drivers to have made all 18 starts for the Arkham Menard series. Between the two of them, of those 18 starts, they have 16 wins. Ty Gibbs having 10 of them, and then Corey Heim having six. Again, as we go across the stat lines, uh, Gibbs 17 top fives to Heim's 15. Heim has one more top 10 with 18, all 18 of them. Gibbs only having 17. I think this is a key factor. Ty Gibbs has nine poles. Half of the races, he's starting at the front. Corey Heim has three. You look at the average start. Ty Gibbs, 2.1. Corey Heim, 3.6. Average finish, 3.1 for Gibbs. Heim has a little bit better at 2.9. And that differentiates, though, to a total of minus 26 points for Corey Heim. So look for him to really want to close the gap. Again, pick up the victory. Uh, The Sioux Chief showdown, there's nothing he can do but go out and win and then see what happens with Ty Gibbs. But when it comes to the Arkham and Ard Series, main point is closing that gap so he has a true shot come Kansas. Yeah, absolutely. And keep in mind, all of these drivers want to win the race. And Taylor Gray uh, is the most recent winner uh, with his win uh, here at, was it Portland? Was the last race we had here? Uh, That these guys, somebody could upset the apple cart here this weekend. I'm just saying. Well, most certainly, and we see that. We talked about the excitement of, A half-mile track with 33-degree banking sounds very similar to Bristol Motor Speedway, and we know what can happen there. Uh, The next next points battle that we want to look at, the top two separated, again, a two-race advantage uh, as well. Thad Moffitt and Nick Sanchez having 16 starts apiece, and they're separated by one point for third in the standings. Thad Moffitt's got five top fives, 12 top tens, 
And then Nick Sanchez has eight top fives with 12 top tens and is a point behind them. They're sitting currently at minus 286 and minus 287. Then to round out the top ten, you got Brad Smith has made 17 of the 18 starts in fifth spot. Sixth place is D.L. Wilson with 13 starts. Drew Dollars made 11 starts, is in seventh. Eighth is Taylor Gray. Kyle Sieg, ninth. They've both made 10 starts. And then Jesse Love having made nine starts. And the two I want to talk about there real quick, Jesse Love, nine starts, nine top tens. Taylor Gray, Sharon mentioned it, talked about him. Ten starts for the Arkham Menard series, eight top fives, and ten top tens. And he had to sit out the first part of the season due to an injury, a personal injury. Uh, if he'd have gotten the chance to make more starts, we've seen him be perfect as far as top tens and darn near top fives. Let me look at his uh, – well, now it went, up, it went up a little bit. His average start, 5.9, and average finish of 4.8. He was right there in range with Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim as far as his stats. Just didn't have the same number of races. Exactly. He had a really, really impressive run there. I'm trying to see. I, I guess his win came in the Arkham Menard Series West. Um, let me see here. Yeah, Taylor Gray won the last two races. One was at Portland. The other was at the Las Vegas Bullring. Uh, he's on a streak uh, in the West with those two victories uh, in the West Series. So I look for him to be a strong competitor at Salem as well. Well, then don't forget, you mentioned it. We got Ken Schrader racing this weekend as well. It's been a while since I've seen him in the Arkham Menard series. He's still been racing, just hasn't been in the Arkham Menard series. But we see him back on track this weekend as well. Uh, So that could uh, certainly uh, make it interesting. That definitely could. Uh, Ken Schrader is a fan favorite, uh, and uh, to see him back on in an Arkham and Art Series race at Salem Speedway is really big. Uh, he is uh, from the area and just a really good uh, uh, driver and a popular driver among fans. So definitely looking forward uh, to seeing Ken Schrader in this race. All right. I think we got everything covered there. I was looking back through, uh, go to the Arkham Menard series homepage. Uh, A lot of good information there. They got the rewind of the past uh, race from the, excuse me, uh, West series race at the bull ring. You can find out your race info, TV channel schedule and more for the Salem race. And, I know we're going to get to this in Hot Topic, the 2020 schedule. Uh, some multiple tracks have announced their ARCA dates for this next season. Yes, the 2020 multiple tracks uh, announced uh, the Arkham Menard Series race dates for the 2022 schedule. And uh, let's see if they give it uh, completely here. I guess it's just the different tracks that have announced their dates. Um, so it's, I guess they're going to kick it off the release. Oh yeah. They're going to kick off uh, in March and go all the way through to October. So the first part of March to the mid part of October, 
uh, for the 2022 schedule. That's the Xfinity Series. No, that can't be the Xfinity Series. Hold on. No, that was that was the Arkham Menards. That was the Arkham Menards Series. Okay, I thought I thought that's what I was seeing there. But okay, so. Definitely mark your calendars. Uh, they've got a doubleheader at Talladega, uh, April 23rd. Yeah, April 23rd. Um, mark your calendars for Phoenix Raceway, March 11th and November 5th. And then they've got, uh, they'll be at uh, Michigan on August the 6th. Uh, they'll be at Watkins Glen International on August the 19th. Um, so those are some of the schedules that we've seen so far. Yeah, I think for, from what but from what I saw glancing through it, the Arkham Menard series, it was the key dates as far as the the tracks that they've been on. I don't know that we see any major mix up in the schedule, uh, but it, it was the release of the dates. Uh, a lot of them are pairing up with some of the top three of NASCAR's touring series. So, again, get two for one, bang for your buck. Yeah, the complete schedules won't be released until a later date. But these are where they're paired up with the Xfinity and the Cup Series series. So uh, it's really cool to see those uh, tracks announce those dates so far. So if you want to see all of those dates, Daytona's on there. Uh, again, they'll be racing February 19th at Daytona. So, again, Arkham and Art Series, just a wealth of information about the Arkham and Art Series. If you want to uh, head over there, you get a rewind of what happened at the last race. Um, and you get to talk about uh, one of the ARCA champions, Christian Eckes, uh also won his very first truck race at Las Vegas. So that was really cool to see, too. It was indeed. We know that's where a lot of these drivers come from. Uh, so we know that what impact this has. Talking about Ty, Ty Gibbs, we fully expect him to go full-time Xfinity Series racing next year with Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, it has not officially been announced, but I don't think anybody's going to be shocked when they do it. Exactly. Okay, I've just deleted something that I did not mean to delete. Uh, we're going to move over here to the Camping World Truck Series. Uh, they are racing this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway, the Chevrolet Silverado 250 uh, that will take place this Saturday, October the 2nd at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. TV coverage will be on Fox Sports 1 at 12 p.m. Eastern. And radio coverage, you'll find that on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 250.04 miles. That's a total of 94 laps. The first two stages are 20 laps each. So lap stage 1 ends on lap 20. Stage 2 ends on lap 40, and the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 94, for 54 laps. So uh, Jay will kick us off here for the Camping World Truck Series and uh, the updates that we have for you for this week. Well, there, the 2022 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series schedule was fully released, uh, and most noticeable change 
it'll return to 23 races up from 22 this past season. The other couple of big changes, the Camping World Truck Series, uh, renew its beating and banging brand of racing as it returns to the .686 mile Lucas Oil Raceway at Indianapolis for the first time since 2011. In the July 29th event, will serve as the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoffs opener and offers drivers the first chance to clinch their spot in the round of eight. And that event will be part of the jam-packed racing weekend at Indianapolis as the NASCAR Xfinity Series and Cup Series will race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course on Saturday and Sunday, respectively. So right there, you know, there's a couple of hot topics right there to dig into when we get to it. Yes, indeed. Okay, next up, we're going to uh, talk about the Camping World Playoff contenders at Talladega and give you some of their stats here. I'll do the first two, and then we'll go two by two up. Okay, Jay? All right. Okay, we'll start with Chandler Smith driving the number 18 Cowbush Motorsports Toyota. He's made one series start at Talladega, posting one top tie five finish, which was a third place. His average finish at the 2.66 mile track is 3.0. That's impressive. His pre-race driver rating at Talladega is 105.6, which is second best among the playoff drivers. So that is not good news for the competition this weekend. Zane Smith, driving the number 21 GMS Racing Chevrolet, has made one series start at Talladega, posting a 33rd place finish, and his pre-race driver rating at Talladega is uh, a, a Toshree 41.7. We know that Zane Smith is capable of much better than that, so uh, I expect his second visit at Talladega will be much better. Well, and I get to cover the first driver not named uh, Smith, and that's Carson Hosevar, rookie in the number 42 Nice Motorsports Chevrolet. And I mentioned first in rookie, he's making his NASCAR Camping World Cup Series or NASCAR Camping World Truck Series career debut at Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. So, going to be an interesting weekend for Hosevar all the way around. Now, Sheldon Creed, two GMS Racing Chevrolet. He's made two series starts at Talladega, posting one top 10 finish. His average finish at the 2.66-mile track is 10.5, which is second best among playoff drivers. And his pre-race driver rating at Talladega is 107.7. Sounds like a radio station. 107.7, which is series (laughs) best amongst the playoff drivers. All right. Next up, we have Matt Crafton driving the number 88 Thor Sport Racing Toyota. He's made a total of 15 starts at Talladega. He has one top five, six top ten finishes. His average finish at at the track is 15.7, and his pre-race driver rating at Talladega is 75.0. Stuart Friesen in the number 52 Halmar Friesen Racing Toyota has made four starts at Talladega, posting one top five and two top ten finishes. His average finish at uh, Talladega is 11.2. His pre-race driver rating is 80.6. Well, then we move up to one of the championship favorites for sure, and that's John Hunter Nemechek driver of the number four Kyle Busch Motorsports Toyota. 
He's made five series starts at the Super Speedway, uh, posting one top five finish. Average finish at the 2.66-mile track is 21.1. Pre-race driver rating of 68.7. Again, we know he's got much more capability than that. Now, Ben Rhodes, he's in the number 99 Thor Sport Racing Toyota, also with five series starts at Talladega. One top five, average finish at the 2.66-mile track of 15.8, and a pre-race driver rating is 81.9. Now, we'll say this before we move on. All those stats when it comes to Talladega don't mean a whole lot. Survival is what matters. (laughs) Exactly. Experience is at a premium at Talladega Super Speedway. And seven of the eight NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoff drivers have five or less starts at that track. The veteran, Matt Crafton, is the lone playoff contender vying for a spot in the championship four-round with more than five starts at the track. So uh, we went through all of that. If you're looking for your fantasy pick this week, I think that's, uh, like Jay said, it doesn't really mean a whole lot because uh, anything in, can and does happen at Talladega. Let's uh, focus on the four uh, bubble drivers. Well, coming up on it, this is second race of the round. Only four contenders can move on to the championship four. Now, right now we talked about the Elite Eight driver, NASCAR Truck Series drivers, uh, in the playoff field, and that'll be cut to the four at the end of the round, and the postseason contenders only have two races left to secure that spot into the championship four. Now, a lot can happen in just two weeks in the Camping World Truck Series playoffs. Just ask GMS uh, Racing Chev- driver Sheldon Creed. He entered last weekend's race at Las Vegas, ranked second in playoff points with two wins in the opening round but he was caught up in an incident and finished 36 at the 1.5-mile track there at Las Vegas. And now the Californian is ranked fifth in the standings, five points back from the championship round of four cutoff. So as we take a look at that outlook following Las Vegas going into Talladega, Ben Rhodes is now actually your points leader at 3,070. He's got two wins, uh, one stage win for a total of 19 playoff points, and he's 34 points above the cutoff line. Uh, favorite throughout the year, John Hunter Nemechek. He had a little bit of a rough night as well. Had to rely on those uh, points to keep him in a good position. He's sitting at 3,064. He's got five wins, 11 stage wins for a total of 50 playoff points. But right now is only 28 points above the cutoff line. Stuart Friesen's at 3,045 in the third spot. He is nine points to the good. Matt Crafton is your fourth and final uh, spot right now at 3,041. He's five points above Sheldon Creed and four points behind Stuart Friesen. Mentioned Creed, the first one below the cut line, 3,036 at minus five. And you got Carson Hosevar at 3,025 is back 16. Zane Smith at 3,022 is minus 19. And Chandler Smith uh Got his way into this round, but also started this one in a round as he's back 24 points. And that's a, You can make those up in the two stages, uh, first two stages. So it's about half a race, if you will, with 60 points being available per race. Um, 
that you can make up. But Talladega is going to be a huge, huge factor. It is, and I can see this being really shook up again after Talladega. So we'll see what happens uh, at Talladega. But let's talk about the clinch scenarios. Nobody is locked into the championship round of four yet. Uh, Time is of the essence for the Truck Series. Eight playoff challengers with just the two races left to decide which four will advance to the next round and have a shot to win the title. With Christian Eke stealing the spotlight last weekend at Las Vegas, none of the playoff drivers have secured a spot into the championship round four, uh, championship four round. Uh, so these, if there is a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, the following drivers could clinch by being 56 points above the fourth winless driver in the standings. The same point requirements listed below would hold true if a new win comes from Ben Rhodes, John Hunter Nemechek, or Stuart Friesen. Ben Rhodes can only clinch with help. Same is true with John Hunter Nemechek. And if there's a new winner from Matt Crafton or another winless driver lower in the standings, but still eligible to advance to the next round, uh, these drivers could clinch by being 56 points above the third winless driver in the standings. So that would be Ben Rhodes with some help and John Hunter Nemechek with help. Uh, These drivers, all eight drivers can clinch their win alone this weekend. Uh, So if any of the eight drivers, Ben Rhodes, John Hunter Nemechek, Stuart Friesen, Matt Crafton, Sheldon Creed, Carson Hosevar, Zane Smith, or Chandler Smith win, they've clinched their spot into the playoffs, uh, into that championship round of four. Uh, Only four contenders, oh, we already talked about that. So, yeah, those are your clinch scenarios. Uh, All eight of those drivers are going to be looking and trying their best to get a win at Talladega. Or at least finish for the fr- towards the front. Mention that if they are going to clinch, they can't do it alone. They need some help. So we'll have to see how the whole race plays out. And that puts the playoff pressure in a cooker, as the Talladega Super Speedway will help to decide that championship four. Is it just when the team's Camping World Truck Series teams thought it couldn't get any wilder or or more unpredictable, they must contend with that 2.66-mile behemoth that is Talladega Super Speedway for the Chevrolet Silverado 250, which leads off a NASCAR doubleheader Saturday with the Xfinity Series race, the Sparks 300, also in the afternoon. And when we look back at last week and how we got where we're at, Thor Sport Racing put on a clinic taking the top four spots at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, led by first-time winner Christian Eckes. It was the second consecutive race in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series with a first-time winner, as Chandler Smith had won at Bristol two weeks ago to advance into the round. Now, with Eckes taking that checkered flag at Las Vegas, none of those eight playoff drivers secured that spot into the championship round of four, the highest finishing playoff driver at Las Vegas uh, weekend was Eckes Thor Sport Racing teammate Ben Rhodes, who finished runner-up and now sits at the top of the points. The background on the Super Speedway itself, Talladega has participated in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoffs 
since its inception in the series in 2016. The 2021 season marks the first time that Talladega has hosted the fifth race, though, in the Camping World Truck Series playoffs and becomes the third different track to occupy that spot, joining Texas Motor Speedway, which did it in 2016 through 18, and then in 2020. And Martinsville Speedway is the one that did it in between in 2019. And this is the third different spot on the Camping World Truck Series schedule that Talladega Super Speedway has resided. From 2016 to 18 and in 2020, it hosted the third race of the postseason, which was an elimination up race from the first round. Then in 2019, it hosted the fourth race on the playoff schedule, and this year it's in the fifth spot, uh, setting the stage for the round elimination. Now, interestingly, five different drivers have won the first or the five previous NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoff races at Talladega Super Speedway, and none of them were playoff drivers at the time of their victories. So the question is, is will we see a six different non-playoff driver win this weekend at Talladega? And look back at them. That is, I'm sorry. Okay, I was going to run run through those uh, when we look back at them. Uh, 2020, which is uh, October 3rd, Cobblish Motorsports driver Raphael Lassard is the one that picked up the victory. In 2019, it was Young Motorsports driver Spencer Boyd. Timothy Peters did it for GMS Racing in 2018. Parker Kligerman for Henderson Motorsports in 2017. And Grant Enfinger uh, for GMS Racing back in 2016. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Uh, It is going to be fun to see what happens this week at Talladega Super Speedway, uh, especially for this truck series, because uh, all of those drivers are vulnerable at this point, Jay. They are. You're right. It's going to be, like I said, a matter of survival and positioning. You want the win, it locks you in, but also going into Martinsville, and they have, I think, what did I say, a two-week gap before their uh, final race uh, of the round, the cutoff race at Martinsville. They got a two-week gap in between that as well. So I think that could be rough on the drivers as well. Yeah, you never you never know. Okay, now we're going to try to cover everything in the Xfinity Series. There's a lot more info here, so we may not get to all of it, uh, but we will try to do our very best. The same thing is going to be true for the Cup Series. Uh, the next race for the Xfinity Series is the Sparks 300 at Talladega on Saturday, October the 2nd at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So it's a doubleheader day on Saturday. Uh, And the TV coverage will be on NBC Sports Network at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Radio coverage on MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Channel 90. They'll be covering a distance of 300.58 miles over 113 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 25, stage 2 on lap 50. That's 25 laps for each stage. And the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 113, for 63 laps. Now, we've got some news here in the Xfinity Series to share as well, Jay. I always like to see uh, teams and drivers racing for a cause. And we got CarQuest and Team Penske representing the American Heart Association this weekend. 
and that will be at the Xfinity Series race on Saturday uh, with Austin Sindrick, the reigning NASCAR Xfinity Series champion. The American Heart Association logo will be featured on the TV panel of Sindrick's number 22 CarQuest Ford during the race. This partnership is part of uh, CarQuest's ongoing initiative with the AHA. From now until October 15th at participating locations, customers and race fans are encouraged to donate. The campaign donations will fund life-saving research on heart disease and strokes. Okay. Also, Santino Ferrucci is returning to Sam Hunt Racing for this weekend's race at Talladega Super Speedway. Ferrucci will make his Super Speedway debut at Talladega. He made his Xfinity Series debut earlier this season at Homestead Miami Speedway, also for Sam Hunt Racing. And he'll be back behind the wheel of a Toyota this weekend with sponsorship from Hy-Vee, Palermo's Screaming Sicilian Pizza Company. He's made six starts in the series and has accumulated four top 15 finishes in those starts. Well, one driver that's not only looking for a championship but looking to next year already is Hemrick as he's moving to Colleg Racing in 2022. Daniel Hemrick and Colleg Racing announced the partnership for next year's Xfinity Series lineup for 2022. Hemrick currently pilots the number 18 for Joe Gibbs Racing. He'll transition to Colleg and back to a Chevrolet for next year. He'll pilot the number 11 full-time to compete for the 22 championship titles. Partnerships for Hemrick and the number 11 will be all be announced at a later date. Okay, big news from this week includes the 2022 NASCAR Xfinity Series schedule. Uh, and uh, it re- it, the release features new and old significant adjustments to the schedule, including the addition of a new track back on the schedule. For the first time since 2000, a NASCAR National Series will return to the twists and the turns of Portland International Raceway when the series heads to the Pacific Northwest on June 4th. The NASCAR Camping World Truck Series is the only national series that visited the track in 99 and 2000 in the track's long history. Also, Texas Motor Speedway will kick off the playoffs for the Xfinity Series on September 24th, and the cutoff races for the series will mirror the Cup Series as the Charlotte Roval and Martinsville are set to cut the field from 12 to 8 and then to 4. The series will kick off at Daytona International Speedway as usual in February. A total of 15 triple header weekends will make up the 2022 schedule. Broadcast times and networks for all three series have not been announced yet, but will be available at a later date. So uh, a lot of really good news there for the Xfinity Series schedule for next season. Certainly some highlights there. Again, multiple topics to talk about in Hot Topics, so stay tuned uh, as we hit that up here coming up in about 40 minutes. Now for the Xfinity Series, when we look at the playoff bubble, again, we only have two races left in the round of 12. We take a look at the playoff standings as we head into this weekend's racing at Talladega. Most of the drivers stayed in the same position as they entered the playoffs at Las Vegas. However, the same can't be said for Jeb Burton. He was involved in an incident early at Las Vegas, which resulted in a 36th place finish. 
He entered the race above the cut line, but now sits in 10th, 27 points behind Brandon Jones, who's in 8th, in the final round of 8 transfer spot. Jones entered the playoffs below the cut line, but jumped up to 8th, last driver above the cut line, and he's only that 10 points above, battling Myatt Schneider, who's currently sitting in ninth. Now, Daniel Hemrick also jumped a spot in the standings as well, up to fifth. Austin Sindrick, A.J. Almendinger, Justin Algar, and Noah Gregson, they stayed in their same position that they entered the race in, and each have a pretty decent playoff, uh, buffer from that playoff cut line. And Jeremy Clements is 36 out of the playoffs after a rough weekend at Las Vegas and is currently sitting last in the standings. Run down that real quick. Uh, Austin Sindrick at 2093 is your leader, 66 points up from the cut line. A.J. Almendinger at second at 2086, 59 points to the good, seven behind Sindrick. Algar is 38 points up on the cut line, and Noah Gregson 37 up. Mentioned fifth place Daniel Hemrick, pretty good gap as well, 34 points, and that's about half a race worth of points. Now, six on back, here it gets a little tight. Justin Haley, 17 points to the good. Harrison Burton is 13 up. And we mentioned Brandon Jones in the A spot is 10 to the good. The cut line is established there. Myatt Schneider in ninth is 10 back. Jeb Burton, 27 back. Riley Herbst and Jeremy Clements, 32 and 36 back. They're getting into a little bit of a hole. Talladega can easily dig them out of it, though with a win, and a good finish wouldn't hurt, but a a win moves them on. Absolutely. Now, again, we're just one race into the Xfinity Series playoffs after the series competed at Las Vegas last weekend. Similar to the Truck Series, Josh Berry, a non-playoff driver, was victorious, meaning that none of the 12 drivers in the playoffs have punched their ticket to the next round. So if you're thinking about your fantasy pick for this weekend, uh, Jay and I are going to cover the uh, playoff drivers uh, two-by-two and, uh, Jay, why don't we start with Jeremy and Riley, and then that, we'll go ahead and move up from there. All right, Jeremy Clements, he's driver of the number 51, Jeremy Clements Racing Chevrolet. He's got a total of 12 starts uh, at Talladega Super Speedway. In those starts, he has one top five and two top ten finishes. And best finish was fourth back in 2016, and then earlier this season he finished 14th. Riley Herbst, he's driver of the number 98, Stuart Haas Racing Ford. He'll be making his fourth Talladega start on Saturday. He has one top five and one top ten in the three starts. The best finish of fourth, good news, came earlier this season. He has an average start of 17.7. Average finish, though, is 25.3. It was in his first two starts. He ended up not finishing those races, both due to incidences. I might have to change my pick, Jay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Justin Haley, the driver of the number 11, College Racing Chevrolet, has been extremely good at Talladega in his four starts. He has two wins, two top fives, and four top tens in his four starts. His average start of 4.8 and an average finish of 4.3. Earlier this season, he finished eighth, which is the worst he's ever finished at the track, but is still 
a top 10 result. He swept both races last year, and he's led a total of 20 laps. Uh, up next is Brandon Jones, driver of the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. In seven starts at the track, he has two top fives, two top tens, and in those starts with uh, 39 laps, Led. He has an average start of 10.3 with an average finish of 18.9. And earlier this season, he was involved in a crash and finished 37th. His best finish of runner-up came in 2018. And then we move up to the cut line area. Put me down for Justin Haley, Jay. Uh, All right. We'll make a note of that. Has anybody picked him? Uh, uh, not yet, I don't believe. I'll double-check that here in no. just a second, though. Okay. Uh, moving up, we were talking about him at the cut line. You got Myatt Schneider, driver of the number two Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet, and he's made three starts at Talladega. Earlier this season, he finished runner-up after starting ninth. His average start at 20.0. The average finish, though, still at 20.7 as his first Two starts at Talladega. We've heard this line before already. Ended early due to an incident. Then we got Harrison Burton. He's a driver now of the number 20 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He has only one top 10 to his name at Talladega. In three starts, he has a best finish of 10th that came earlier this season. Average start is 8.3. An average finish of 21.7. Next up is uh, Daniel Hamrick, driver of the number 18, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He's making his fifth Xfinity Series start at Talladega, and he has one top five and one top ten, along with one pole award at the track. His best finish was fifth and was at this race in 2020, and most recently he started second and finished 12th at Dega earlier this season. He's led 157 laps and has an average start of 2.8, but his average finish is 19.5. Also, Jeff Burton, the driver of the numbered racing Chevrolet, is making his fourth start at the Alabama track this Saturday. Talladega is the home of Burton's first career Xfinity Series victory earlier this season. He has one win, two top fives, and two top tens at the track. He led 28 total laps and have an average, has an average start of 9.7 with an average finish of 7.0. All right, sliding up to the driver of the number nine, Junior Motorsports Chevrolet, that's Noah Gregson. He'll be making his sixth start at Talladega on Saturday. He has two top fives and four top tens in those starts with 48 laps led. That average start is 9.0 and an average finish of 6.8. Most recently, he finished sixth early this season after starting fourth. His best finish of third came in this race in 2020. Another junior motorsports driver, that's Justin Algar. He's a driver of the number seven Chevrolet and has three top fives and six top tens in 12 starts at Talladega. His average finish, or average start, sorry, is 12.3. The average finish a little higher at 16.2. He's led 79 laps of 1,369 completed. He also has five DNFs due to crashes and an engine issue. His best finish a second came back in 2016. Most recently, Algar struggled a little bit at Talladega, 
He has not finished better than 28th in the last four races at the track. Okay. Next up, we have A.J. Allmendinger, the driver of the number 16 Colleague Racing Chevrolet. And the NASCAR Xfinity Series regular season champion has three Xfinity starts at Talladega. That includes one top five and two top tens in those three starts. Most recently, he started 11th and finished third earlier this season. His average finish of 11 point, has an average finish of 11.3 at the Super Speedway. Then there's Austin Sendrick, the driver of the number 22 Team Penske Ford, with five starts at Talladega. His first start in 2018. Most recently, earlier this season, he started on the pole and finished runner-up to Jed Burton. He has three top fives and three top tens at the track in his five starts. He has led 35 laps and has an average start of 7.8 with an average finish of 15.0. So there you have it, your fantasy picks for uh, this weekend. And next up is the clinch scenarios for the Xfinity Series round of 12. All right, with uh, just the two races remaining in the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoffs round of 12, for these postseason contenders, they're looking to lock up that spot in the round of eight. Now, with Josh Berry, a non-playoff winner, uh, driver winning at Las Vegas last weekend, all, sp- all eight spots are still up for the taking as the series heads to Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. Again, none have clinched yet. If there is a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, Drivers could be uh, could clinch by being 56 points above the eighth winless driver in the standings. That same points requirement, so it would be true if a new win comes from among Austin Sindrick, A.J. Allmendinger, Justin Algar, Noah Gregson, Daniel Hemrick, Justin Haley, or Harrison Burton. So we'll start with Austin Sindrick. He would clinch uh, 51 with 51 points. He needs 52 points if Haley wins, 53 if it's Harrison Burton. A.J. Allmendinger, he uh, needs 55 to clinch, and he needs help if it's uh, Justin Haley or Harrison Burton that wins. Justin Algar, Noah Gregson, Daniel Hemrick, Justin Haley, and Harrison Burton uh, could only clinch with help. If there's a new winner from Brandon Jones or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance the next round, the following drivers could clinch with 56 points above that seventh winless driver in the standings. Uh, Austin Sindrick, he would need 55 points to clinch. A.J. Allmendinger, Justin Algar, Gregson, Hemrick, Haley, and Harrison Burton, they could do so with some help. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, all 12 of the drivers can clinch on their win alone this weekend. Uh, would run through all 12 that are eligible in the playoffs. Okay. Now, Xfinity by the numbers, uh, Talladega style. 
There have been 31 Xfinity Series races at Talladega with the inaugural race won by Ernie Irvin on July 25th of 92. The 31 Xfinity Series races have produced 21 different pole winners and 25 different race winners. Only three races were won from the pole or the first starting position. The last time it happened was last year when Justin Haley won from the pole. Haley is also the youngest winner in series history at Talladega at 21 years, one month, and 23 days. NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin holds the race record at 168.937 miles per hour in 97, and Joe Nemechek holds the qualifying record for the same year at 193.517 miles per hour. The most recent race at Talladega Super Speedway was earlier this season, There were 40 cars in the field and 22 lead changes among 12 different leaders. There were four cautions for 15 laps, and only 31 cars finished on the lead lap. There were 34 cars still running at the end of the race. The race winner, Jeb Burton, led 20 laps in route to his victory, and the race ended under caution because of weather. Well, that's just one of those wild scenarios that we can see at a super speedway race like Talladega. And we've talked about this every race we do, every time we talk about it, expect the unexpected. And Talladega super speedway, the next up for the Xfinity Series playoffs. And they kicked off at Las Vegas uh, Motor Speedway. The 12 dryer field took the stage at the Nevada track, and the opening act provided a lot of excitement as well as a lot of drama for these playoff drivers. We had junior motorsports, Josh Berry, not competing in the Xfinity Series playoffs, was filling in for an injured Mike Lynette in the number one Chevrolet, picked up the victory, leading a 1-2-3 sweep for junior motorsports camp on Saturday night, Las Vegas. The win marked Berry's second of the season and the first coming at Martinsville Speedway earlier in the year. A Berry's JRM teammates Algar and Gregson they finished in the top three respectively while Austin Sindrick, Daniel Hemrick, Brandon Jones, A.J. Almendinger, Ty Dillon, Justin Haley, and Harrison Burton rounded out the top 10 finishers. A playoff drivers Riley Herbst, Jeb Burton, and Jeremy Clements mentioned were all taken out of the race early due to incidences finished 33rd, 36th, and then 39th respectively. When we look at Saturday's uh, Xfinity Series playoff race at Las Vegas, we saw 13 lead changes with six cautions for 32 laps. Margin of victory was a whopping 4.398 seconds. Now, this weekend, the Xfinity Series continues their playoff run at Talladega Super Speedway, and that track produces some of the wild and craziest racing on the schedule. The Sparks 300 at Talladega will be Saturday afternoon, October 2nd at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Part of the doubleheader with the Camping World Truck Series running at 1 o'clock Eastern. This playoff race will mark the second time the series heads to the Alabama track this season. We talked about College Racing's Jeb Burton taking home his first career victory in the Xfinity Series with the rain-shortened event at Talladega earlier in the year. This race will be 300.58 miles, which is 113 laps, broken up into the three stages, uh, first ending on lap 25, the second on lap 50, and the third and final on lap 113. 
the last note, the metric qualifying, setting the lineup. Uh, as a result, it'll be Junior Motorsports' Justin Algar that'll lead the field to green with Team Penske's Austin Sindrick joining him on the front row. Okay. Can't wait to watch these guys race at Talladega Super Speedway because expect the unexpected is exactly right for any Talladega race, and that includes the NASCAR Cup Series Yellowwood 500 uh, there on Sunday, October the 3rd at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. NBC will have the pre-race coverage starting at 1 p.m. with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 500 miles over 188 laps. The first two stages are 60 laps each. Stage one ends on lap 60, stage two on lap 120, and the last stage of 68 laps will be uh, end on lap 188. So uh, we have a lot of uh, info here for the Cup Series as well. Well, we start with Kurt Busch and Daniel Hemrick as they're painting the wall pink. Alongside dozens of pink shirt-wearing breast cancer survivors, car drivers Kurt Busch and Daniel Hemrick joined officials from the Charlotte Motor Speedway and Blue Cross in North Carolina in painting the Charlotte Motor Speedway's pit wall pink on Tuesday the 28th. The Speedway's eighth Paint the Pit Wall Pink event has become an annual tradition to celebrate survivors provide hope for those battling breast cancer, and the paint the 1,500-foot pink pit wall road to raise awareness for the importance of early detection. Uh, it was Cheryl Parquet, Blue Cross uh, North Carolina's Director of Community Development and Marketing Activision, uh, said that the paint the wall pink is such an inspiring event each year. And I know that's one of the events their uh, causes my family is very involved in, so a very good cause there. Okay. Pre-race signatories were also announced for this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway uh, as one of the best places to come and watch a race in the pre-race activities. Uh, So just to list some of those signatories uh, and the traditions for the pre-race activities for the full weekend, uh, the Yellowwood 500 at 5 p.m. CDT, that's Central Time, the Grand Marshal is Jimmy Rain, the founder and CEO of Great Southern Wood Preserving, along with his family and representatives of the company's board of directors. Honorary starter is Katie Britt, the former president and CEO of Business Council of Alabama. The invocation will be done by Chaplain um, Barbara Embry, the Citizen Baptist Medical Center. Presentation of colors will be done by the Robertsdale High School the NJROTC, Pledge of Allegiance by the Scout Troops from Alabama. God Bless America will be sung by the Hoover High School Choir with 40 performers. The National Anthem by the United States Army's 313th Band. And John Ray's iconic big semi-truck with giant American flag around the track during the National Anthem. There will also be a flyover with two strike fighter squadrons VFA-213 and Fighting Black Lions, the FA-18F Super Hornets. Uh, For the uh, 
Chevrolet Silverado at 1 p.m. Uh, actually, that's that's for the uh, Xfinity Series race. Uh, the invocation will be done by Raceway Ministries, the presentation of colors by the Central High School, the NJROTC. Pledge of Allegiance again, the Scout Troops from Alabama. God Bless America will be sung by the Spain Park High School Choir, 25 performers, and the National Anthem by the Vestavia Hills High School Choir, 15 performers. And again, the John Ray's iconic big semi-truck with giant American flag around the track will be done during the National Anthem. For the truck series race, the Grand Marshal is Wayne Sternberg, a friend of Sparks, Inc., and the invocation will be done by Lindsay Lane uh, from the Baptist Church. Presentation of colors will be done by the Central High School, NJROTC, and the Pledge of Allegiance, again, by the Scout Troops from Alabama. God Bless America will be sung by the Marbury High School Band with 40 performers, and the National Anthem will also be done by them with 30 performers. And once again, John Ray's iconic big semi-truck with the giant American flag will be driving around the track during the National Anthem. So uh, those are some of the performers for this weekend. We're going to look at the Cup Series playoff, doesn't it, Dega? we got seven of the nine active NASCAR Cup Series Talladega Super Speedway winners are entered into this weekend and are still in the playoffs vying for a shot at the title. When we look at the playoff dozen, their career uh, NASCAR Cup Series statistics at Talladega, in the order by current playoff round of 12 position. I'll start with the bottom two here. If I can find the bottom, we've got to go with Christopher Bell first, unfortunately. Driver of the number 20, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, made uh, three series starts at Talladega, the fewest among playoff drivers, as a posting a career best finish of 17th earlier this season. Average finish at the 2.66-mile track is 28.3. His pre-race driver rating at the Super Speedway is 60.8. Moving up, we got Alex Bowman, driver of the number 48 Hendricks Motorsports Chevrolet. And he's made a total of 12 series starts at Talladega, posting one top five and three top tens. His average finish at the 2.66-mile track, 24.6. Pre-race driver rating is 73.1. Next up is Kevin Harvick in the number four, Stuart Haas Racing Ford. He's made an amazing 41 starts at Talladega, the most among active drivers. He has posted one win, eight top fives, and 17 top tens. His average finish at Talladega is 15.8, uh, the third best among the playoff drivers, and his pre-race driver rating at Talladega is 80.5. Also, William Byron, the driver of the number 24 Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet, has made seven starts at Talladega, posting two top fives. His average finish at the track is 17.1. His pre-race driver rating at Talladega is 85.7. Next up, we got the Penske Fords. Brad Keselowski, driver of the number two Penske machine, has made 25 series starts at Talladega, posting six wins, which is the series most among active drivers. 
was at eight top fives and 12 top tens, including his first career cup win. His average finish at the 2.66-mile track is 15.6, which is series best among playoff drivers. His pre-race driver rating is 91.0. His teammate, the number 22, is driven by Joey Logano. He's made 25 series starts at Talladega, post eight top fives and 10 top tens. His average finish is 17.5, and the Talladega pre-race driver rating comes in at 90.9. Okay, next up is Chase Elliott. In front of, he drives the number nine Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet. He has 11 series starts at Talladega, posting one win, four top fives, and five top tens. His average finish at the track is 15.7. That's second best among the playoff drivers. And his pre-race driver rating at Talladega is 88.1. Ryan Blaney, of course, drives the number 12 Team Penske Ford. He has 14 starts at Talladega. Uh, that includes two wins, three top fives, and five top tens. His average finish at the track is 17.4. His average pre-race driver rating is 91.1. Well, getting into some more experience on the track, we got Martin Truex Jr., driver of the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He's made 33 career starts at Talladega, posting two top fives and eight top tens. Average finish is 21.8, and the pre-race driver rating is 76.2. With 32 starts, you have the number 18 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, Kyle Busch. He's got one win, six top fives, and eight top tens, and an average finish of 20.8. Puts his pre-race driver rating at Talladega at 81.5. Okay, the top two drivers include Denny Hamlin, the driver of the number 11 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He has 31 starts, posting two wins, nine top fives, and 13 top tens at Talladega. His average finish is uh, 17.2, and his pre-race driver rating is 83.8. Kyle Larson, the driver of the number five from Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet, has made 13 starts at Talladega, posting two top 10 pre-race driver rating there is 73.9. So next up, uh, we have the playoff bubble round of 12. Uh, and again, there's plenty of unpredictability here. Uh, there most certainly is due to that close quarter racing at Talladega or the twists and turns of the Charlotte Roval. And that's enough to keep these NASCAR Cup Series playoff teams up at night. Uh, They should find some solace, though, in knowing it could be those same tracks that attribute to them to get to victory lane over these next two weekends. Now, since the inception of the elimination-style format in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, going back to 2014, the driver that wins at Talladega Super Speedway in the postseason has clinched a needed spot into the next round in six of the seven races held from 2014 to 2020. Uh, Joey Logano in 2015 is that lone winner at Talladega since 2014 that had already clinched his spot into the next round prior to completing or competing at the 2.66-mile track. Now, was when Logano swept the round of, 20, round of 12 in 2015 
winning at all three races that season. He picked up wins at Charlotte, Kansas, and then Talladega. So when we look at that, um, in 2020, it was Denny Hamlin. He won and clinched his spot heading into uh, Dega. He was second in points. Ryan Blaney was 12th in points in 2019 when he did it. Eric Almarola, ninth in points, did it in 2018. In 17, it was Brad Keselowski and did it from 10th in points. Uh, Joey Logano in 2016 was 8th in points when he did it. In 2015, we mentioned he was already clinched in on wins and didn't even necessarily need it. And then in 2014, from 10th in points, it was Brad Keselowski. So with that, let's look at this weekend. William Byron in 9th, Kevin Harvick in 10th, Alex Bowman 11th, and Christopher Bell in 12th find themselves south of that NASCAR Cup Series round of eight cut line as they head into this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. Hendrick Motorsports driver William Byron, right now at 3,039, is currently just four points back from Team Penske's Brad Keselowski, who's in eighth in this playoff series standing. And that's the final transfer spot for the round of eight. Byron posted his best finish at Talladega back in April when he finished runner-up to Brad Keselowski. Byron is looking to advance out of the second round of the cup playoffs for the first time in his career. When we look at Kevin Harvick, he is seven points back from that playoffs round eight cutoff. And Harvick is one of nine drivers with the former with former wins at the track, but hasn't yet yet been to victory lane at Talladega since 2010. Now, Harvick has advanced out of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs round of 12 in every postseason since the inception of this elimination-style format in 2014 and is looking to make that eight consecutive seasons this year, and it could happen here at Talladega. Now, Hendrick Motorsports' Alex Bowman, he's at 14th in points, 13 back from the cut line, uh, for the round of eight, and Bowman has yet to win at Talladega, posted a best finish, though a runner-up, coming in April of 2019. The other one in great desperate need, if you will, Joe Gibbs Racing's Christian. It's his first appearance in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, and right now he finds himself in that 12th and last spot in the round of 12. Bell does not have a victory at Talladega, but in his three Series uh, career starts at the 2.6-mile track. Best finish is 17th. So not looking in his favor, but you can't count him out either. Okay. There's only one driver that can rest easy over the next two weeks, and that's across all of NASCAR's top three series. Uh, and that is Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin, who has secured his spot into the round of eight by winning the opening race of the round of 12 at Las Vegas. This is the sixth time in his Cup Series career that he's advanced out of the second round of the playoffs, uh, including this year he did it in 14, 16, 17, 19, and 20. Now the 40-year-old from Chesterfield, Virginia, can focus on racking up more playoff points and wins with little regard for his postseason status. And that doesn't bode well for the competition, as he's also the defending winner of last season's Talladega playoff race. 
Now, this season, Denny Hamlin has posted two wins at Darlington and Las Vegas, 16 top fives and 21 top tens. His average starting spot this season is 7.1. His average finish is 8.3. He has led the second most laps this season at 1,366 laps led. His second consecutive season and fifth in overall of his Cup Series career, he led more than 1,000 laps in the season. He's also ranked second in the season-to-date driver rating at 110.3, just behind the series leader, Kyle Larson, at 111.6. Hamlin is one of nine active drivers this weekend at Talladega with a previous victory at the track. He's made 31 starts at Talladega, posting two wins in 2014 and 20, playoff race, and nine top fives, along with 13 top tens. He also has led 389 laps at Talladega, which is the second most among active drivers. I don't know if we've got time to cover the clinch scenarios here uh, for these guys. We've got four minutes. Let me see if I can kind of recap them real quick here. Uh, okay. Again, any driver, any driver uh, can on a race win. Kyle Larson, uh, if a winner comes from amongst the top five, uh, from Larson on through Logano, 54 points, unless it's Logano, 55. Kyle Busch, Martin Truex, Blaney, uh, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, and Joey Logano. Only do it if they get a little bit of help. Uh, new winner from Brad Keselowski or another winless driver lower, there would be those same drivers. Uh, Larson through Logano would need a little bit of help. Mentioned there, uh, any of the drivers can still clinch uh, with a victory by themselves. Okay, and Denny Hamlin's the only driver that has clinched his spot, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, Jay, I'm going to use this time uh, for us to talk about uh, the fantasy group as we transition over to hot topics. All right. Let me see. I'll get those pulled. Whoops. Pulled up real quick here. Uh, screenshots. I know it's tightened up. We talk about how, how the points and battles are tight. Uh, I talked about this. Start with the truck series. We do have a new points leader by one point, as Mike is now leading Sharon. 97 to 96. I'm at 89. Sam, 86. Andy, 85. Then Tommy at 70. Owen at 67. And James at 54. Uh, James is on the verge of being mathematically eliminated, but not yet. The Xfinity Series, there we have a tie at the top. Myself and Andy at 118. We have a tie for third. Mike and Sam at 103. And we have a tie for fifth of Sharon and James at 89. And then Tommy and Owen at 87, 85, real close to being tied, but uh, separated by two points. And there we got 33 points top to bottom. That's two races that could change that. On the Cup Series, uh, again, new points leader. It's Owen at 163. I'm two points behind at 161. 
Sam is at 154. Sharon at 151. Mike is right there at 144. And you got James at 127, Tommy at 111, and Andy at 72. And Andy has not been fully mathematically eliminated, but uh, really, really close. We'll just say that. For the overall then, uh, I'm at 368 points, Mike at 344, Sharon at sorry, Sam at 343, Sharon at 336, Owen at 315, Andy 275, James 270, Tommy 268. 100 points top to bottom, and there is still 244 points available uh, going into this weekend. Okay. So we'll definitely look forward to that. Uh, Mike was here, but he just hung up. So uh, as we transition over to NASCAR Hot Topics, I did get a message from Tommy. It turns out that he's not going to be able to make it tonight. So it's just going to be the three of us, uh, yourself, uh, Jay, myself, and Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, how are we doing tonight? We're doing all right. It's just the uh, three amigos here, so uh, we're going to go ahead and get started with our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off for tonight. And, Mike, we're going to let you kick it off for tonight. Sure. Well, a couple weeks ago, we got the NASCAR Cup Series schedule for the 2022 season. And yesterday, we got the schedules for the NASCAR Xfinity Series as well as the Camping World Truck Series. Uh, Not a huge change from this year, but a couple major changes on some individual races. Uh, Most notably, the Xfinity Series is not going to mid-Ohio. That's now going to be a truck series race. The Xfinity Series is going to go race in Portland next year. And the trucks are returning to Sonoma. Those are probably the two biggest changes that I've seen for the uh, the season. But I'm wondering what the rest of y'all's takes on it is. Also, one of those series uh, increased the race was that the trucks are Xfinity. Truck, truck series went from 22 to 23. Okay. Okay, so, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, overall, good. Uh, we see some changes. Uh, kind of surprising we didn't hear rumblings. When we talk about the Cup Series going to Gateway as one of the major changes on their schedule, we had heard about it in the weeks prior to the official release. I had heard nothing about Portland. I like the fact that NASCAR is going back out there. We talked about it during our show here tonight. Uh, it used to be a truck series race. We haven't been out there in a while. little surprising that it's the Xfinity series going out there and giving up mid-Ohio. But, uh, again, I see it as a positive thing uh, in spreading to the northwest there. The truck series, uh, adding a race, uh, the one Mike uh, didn't hit on there, I think it needs to be mentioned, coming back to Lucas Oil Raceway Park. It's been several uh, several names. Right now we're under Lucas Oil Raceway Park in Indianapolis. That is one that I don't think they should have ever left, uh, Xfinity or trucks, but that's my opinion. Oh, I am allowed to share my opinion here. Okay. I don't think mm-hmm. they should have ever left it to begin with. <laughs> Um, so I'm glad to see at least one of the series returning there. I think that's a great move. The one thing I kind of have concerns with, and I'm sure it still has to do with the COVID, I'd like to see them go back to Canadian Tire Motorsports Park in Canada. 
We haven't been able to get that one back on the schedule. Uh, everything we've pretty much talked about, with the exception of the addition of uh, Lucas Oil Raceway Park, has still been about road courses. Uh, I understand that right now that's the fan interest, but I don't want to see NASCAR overdo it and put too many out there. So I know it's kind of been a swap one for one. We haven't necessarily added any. Um, but I think there are some tracks, though, that we could add, short tracks being one. And I know I saw Junior Motor, or, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. on his podcast talking about this. Of uh, He was a little hard on it, if you will. I, I wouldn't say I'm that hard on it, but I also see that NASCAR might be approaching that limit that they need to ease up on it as well. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm uh, overall very pleased with the schedule uh, for both of these series. I kind of was hoping that it would be a triple header at Gateway. Uh, so that's my only disappointment is that they're not doing the triple header at Gateway. Uh, I do like seeing Portland on the schedule. Uh, that is a road course, and I think uh, that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, so I'm glad to see them at at, uh, uh, at Portland uh, in both of those series. Or am I right here? Is it both of the series? No, it's just the Xfinity that's going to be going to Portland. Um, and uh, it's just the uh, Camping World Truck Series that's going to Gateway. Uh, Knoxville's back on the schedule. Nashville's back on the schedule. So I'm happy about all that. I love that Lucas Oil Raceway is back on the schedule. It's the first race of the playoffs. Uh, so I think that's going to be a lot of fun uh, for the for the truck series. Uh, the first race for the Xfinity series is actually going to be at Texas. Uh, and so I'm kind of excited about that. I have family in Texas. So uh, the fact that I can go there and maybe catch that first race of the playoff uh, is kind of a fun thing for me. Uh, all three series are going to be back at Coda again in uh, March. So that's another opportunity for me to head to Texas. Uh, so yeah, overall I'm, I'm super pleased with it and, um, uh, I don't see, well, the only downside is what I've already mentioned. So I think it's all, all good. So I'm curious to know what you're thinking, Mike. Overall, I agree with you. Uh, I think it was more or less good changes. Nothing radical, nothing super unexpected. Uh, I had heard a couple rumblings about the Portland thing, but it was only a day or two before the schedule was even announced that I was even seeing anything about that. So you're right, Jay. It was, I wouldn't say out of completely nowhere, but it was definitely a bit of a surprise, especially uh, especially since there wasn't a whole lot of movement into the Pacific Northwest up until, well, about a week ago when they were starting to rumble like that. So hopefully it helps expand the NASCAR market up there getting, it's not a cup series race, but at least it gets people in the area interested and excited in the sport, hopefully, uh, as long as they, they can put on a good show up there. Uh, the truck series losing Canadian tire. It's disappointing, but not surprising. Like you said, they haven't run there the past two years because of COVID and some other, uh, other issues uh, in terms of scheduling and whatnot. So you know, losing Canadian Tire is not, it's, it's not the best. I don't know that Sonoma is a, uh, a suitable substitute. I've always felt that Sonoma was one of the weaker road courses that NASCAR ran at, at least in terms of the kind of racing that it produces. But then again, we haven't seen the trucks on that race course in, what, 10 years or more? So maybe the trucks will put on a pretty decent show there. I don't know. Um, the other disappointment on there, though, was the lack of Iowa. 
Uh, we had talked about it a couple weeks ago, hoping that with the IndyCar race being announced to be going to Iowa for a doubleheader, that that would mean that there would be enough interest to hopefully put a NASCAR date there, if not the Cup Series, at least an Xfinity Series or Truck Series. But unfortunately, none of the three major NASCAR Touring Series are going to be going to Iowa, at least not for the 2022 season. Hopefully they can get them back on the schedule for 23 and beyond. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, I didn't want to go down that road of uh, there certainly are some things with the exception, like I said, of Canadian Tire Motorsports Park that I mentioned, but uh, Chicagoland would be another one. Uh, We don't know long-term what the future is. Uh, You mentioned, though, Sonoma, and I found it interesting, and Sharon and I were reading the stuff on on this, there are going to be 15 doubleheader or tripleheaders throughout the year next year. It seems like maybe they are going back towards that of not having the standalone events uh, for any of the three, the series, if they're looking at that as marking that as a package deal. Uh, we've seen that go back and forth throughout the past five, five to ten years. Uh, the one good thing I would say then is if Iowa does come back on the schedule, it might be hopefully that it's a cup series race along with an Xfinity and or truck series. So I'd kind of still hold on to that positive of that uh, when we look at that. But I just found that interesting as Sharon and I were reading the notes on it uh, of there being 15 of the double headers throughout next year. Again, I don't know if that was by design necessarily or specifically if they're testing that to see compared to this year. Um, I, I can't answer that. I, as a fan, I always kind of like the, the independent of the truck series being at separate events. But I understand from a logistic standpoint, especially when we talk about the crews and we talked about the other night, might call them the dead pit stops because Xfinity or trucks use cup series teams for their pit stops, that that has an impact. So uh, might, they might be playing with something there and, and finding that balance as well. Yeah, I think you're right, Jay. I think also uh, we saw some announcements from the uh, ARCA series as well. And a lot of these races are going to be companion events with the Arkham and Art series. So I think that's going to be uh, interesting as well uh, as the Arkham and Art series schedule has not been fully announced yet. We can watch for that coming in the coming weeks. But some of the tracks are starting to leak out the fact that they do have the Arkham and Art series paired with the Xfinity series or with the truck series and, and so on. So, uh, including the opener at Daytona, uh, the Arkham Art Series will be a part of that uh, opening season opening event at Daytona in February. So I think all of that's good. Uh, and I think we are going to see more companion events uh, as it goes on because they did make it a point to say that 15 of these events are triple headers with all three series racing together. So you brought up a good point, Mike, too, about Iowa Speedway. I hope we do see them back on the schedule at some point here in the future. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Mike, your thoughts? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, 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 
Jay's right about the logistics and, and whatnot regarding the companion races. Uh, we've been talking about a lot about the expense of going to one of these NASCAR races, whether it be a Cup Series race or, or any of the other series. And it just makes more sense from a bang for the buck standpoint. If somebody's going to spend yes. all the money on a road trip plus hotel plus everything else that goes along with traveling to a track that may not be local to them, it makes it a whole lot more of a value equation if they're able to get more, more than one race whether those races are on the same day or, you know, a Saturday, Sunday kind of show, something like that to make it worth their while to hit the road and head out there. So I think that's NASCAR leveraging what they've got at their disposal, namely multiple uh, big series uh, that they can schedule at the same place on the same weekend. They leverage that to their advantage, and hopefully that gets more fans out to these racetracks and showing up in person. Uh, but adding that value in there, I think it goes a long way. Overall, I'd say it's a good step. I, I'm, I'm excited about the, uh, the 2022 schedule. I think it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, and I, I like the directions of sports going. So uh, I, I got really no major complaints with it. Okay. Uh, Jay, you get to bring up our next to- topic. Sorry. Yep. I was trying to pull it back up there. Uh, starting to see, and I was trying to think if, if we talked about this on Monday night show with the, uh, Daniel Hemrick. Um, did we hit that, hit that on Monday? About Hemrick going uh, to college? Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, I think we did. Okay. Okay. Well, then uh, then I hit the one that we did have, and that's Ricky Stenhouse uh, returning to JTG Daughtery for 2022. Okay. Mike, your thoughts about JTG? I can never say this. JTG Daughtery <laughs> Racing uh, and Ricky Stenhouse Just, uh, Jr. Just do what uh, what Steve Latart does when he's talking about Matt Benedetto and just refuse to say the word. Just say JTGD racing and you'll be good. Um, but anyway, <laughs> as far as Stenhouse going back, I would say that's probably the least surprising silly season news we've had all year. Uh, when they announced that they were downsizing to a one-car team, I know a lot of Ryan Priest fans were cautiously, very cautiously optimistic that maybe Ryan Priest would be the one guy sticking around there. But I think anyone – with any kind of objectivity in terms of performance would know that of the two drivers at JTG, for whatever reason, whether it was finances or whatever variable there is, it was undeniable that Ricky Stenhouse was the better of the two drivers in terms of results for JTG. So if they were going to downsize to one of those two drivers, it just made sense that Ricky Stenhouse would be the guy. And now it's official. Ricky Stenhouse is going to be the guy at JTG. The other interesting thing that came along with some of those interviews that Stenhouse was doing is nothing concrete, but it almost sounded like he was hinting that JTG may be switching manufacturers, but he didn't really go down that road too far in terms of hinting who it might be or when that change might happen, whether it's for next season or the season beyond. So some interesting things, and in uh, this may be more to talk about JTG than just Ricky Stenhouse coming back. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't see this as a big surprise either, uh, that Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is the guy who's going to be uh, with this organization. And uh, I am interested, uh, I'm curious to find out what happens with Ryan Priest. Uh, I hope he comes back. Uh, I think he's kind of gotten the short end on a couple of things, uh, and I'd like to see him get an opportunity in the Cup Series. Uh, and that kind of leads to another subject uh, also on our top topic list here uh, with uh, Matt DiBenedetto 
uh, and and what could or might happen for him. But uh, uh, as far as uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., happy that he's got that ride at uh, JTG, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing what he does as uh, they go into the 2022 season. Not a whole lot to say there. Jay? Well, like you said, happy for for Ricky Stenhouse uh, to get it to resign. I wasn't even really aware, I guess, that he was uh, possibly not under contract. I don't know how their contracts are are written. But when it was talked about eliminating one team, being that it was the number uh, 37, assumed it was Priest, that he didn't even have the option of overtaking Stenhouse. When I look at this year, Priest had a really strong start to the season. Um, so when you talk about it overall stats, yeah, you got to give the nudge to uh, Ricky Stenhouse. Obviously, he does have victories uh, at the cup level as well as in the Xfinity Series, but I'm not as down on him as some others are, but he isn't exactly the strongest driver. The one thing I look at, JTG Daughter is one of those that is right on the cusp. They've shown they can run good. Uh, not sure what it is that they need to get there, whether on the top 10 on a weekly basis, top 10 to 15 on a weekly basis, getting that victory and then being playoff contenders. Matt Benedetto being available is one of those of that could have been a possible landing spot for him. Uh, but I don't know about the sponsorship deal uh, like we've talked about. So I think that ties into that situation. Um, but uh, we'll see if this downsizing to the one car helps JTG Dottery and if they can refocus, maybe add a, another team again down the road. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Mike, follow-up? Yeah, like you said, Jay, I- Ryan Priest had a strong start to this season, but he also had a pretty real, uh, pretty disastrous season last year where I think he had three or four dead last finish places strung together. So his overall body of work at JTG was – it wasn't terrible, terrible, but it certainly wasn't uh, – it wasn't comparable to Ricky Stenhouse. So I think, uh, I think everyone's kind of in agreement that Stenhouse was the right call, at least of the available two options at JTG. I hate it for Ryan Priest. He's a really nice guy, obviously a very talented race car driver. Uh, if you follow him outside of the NASCAR Cup Series, he's basically the Kyle Larson of Modifieds. When he goes and runs Modifieds uh, yeah. on his days off, he he just about wins every Modified race he gets himself into. So don't you know, if you're if you're unfamiliar with that, don't base your opinion of Ryan Priest's driving skills just on what you see him do in a Cup Series car on Sunday. He is, make no mistake, Ryan Priest is an extremely talented race car driver. Things like you said, Sharon, for for whatever reason, have not necessarily gone his way in the NASCAR Cup Series, which is unfortunate. But there's a whole long list of drivers, a lot longer list of drivers who are in that same boat than the ones that had the stars align and everything work out for him. Um, so. We'll see where Ryan Priest ends up next year, but we're at the time of the season, just like we were last year, where you got more butts than seats, and uh, he may very well be with Matt Benedetto on the outside looking in. Yeah, I hope not. I, I hope not, because uh, I think he is a great driver. He just hasn't gotten the brakes, uh, but uh, we'll have to wait and see what does happen. Um and I agree with you, uh, you know, all of the comments that have been made here about uh, uh, Ryan Priest and, and uh, you know, the opportunities that might be before him. Um, 
Ricky Stenhouse, yeah, same thing. Not a whole lot more to say there, uh, so I don't have anything to add with regard to that. There was something else that I wanted to say, but it's eluding me right now. So I'll move on to you, Jay. The one thing, I, the one thing I look at when talking about Ryan Priest is he had a couple of starts for I believe it was Joe Gibbs Racing, showed that he had the talent at least in the Xfinity Series, something they could work with. Uh, Mike mentioned obviously a modified driver. He never got developmental though because he moved directly up to a Cup ride with a mid-pack team, and I know we've talked about that before of of what. Say, for example, John Hunter Nemechek. He went back to a top truck series team, winning races, contending for a championship. Is that better than running 20th with a mid-pack cup team and showing you got the talent and just need the right opportunity? Uh, you know, So that, that's kind of a tough position he got put in. I think he has done a decent job with it. I think it's one I mentioned, Daniel Suarez. Just got to find that right spot. The talent is there. It's just finding that right spot and combination of driver, team, crew chief, whatever it be, for him to really flourish. And I feel like JTG has always been right on the cusp, right on the verge. Uh, I don't know if I want to compare him to Richard Petty Motorsports. They, again, have kind of had that flashes, different drivers they've had in there, uh, on the verge of but never being able to complete moving to that next level. Uh, up to you, Mike, for the next hot topic. Well, we might as well just transition right into the guy we kind of mentioned a minute ago. Matt Benedetto was on Sirius XM Racing today and gave a bit of an update on his current situation in terms of looking for a ride. And long story short, it's not looking good. Uh, in his words, he said every door that seems to be opening quickly closes, and he has got zero so far for next year. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Jay, your thoughts? Well, and I didn't get a chance to listen to the the full interview, but I know Mike said the key word there was zero. Um, I have to wait and see. I think still, especially as it gets closer to the end of the season, it will be probably an Xfinity Series team or a Truck Series team, but I think he can find a spot uh, in one of those two series. The one I still have, the open window of possibility uh, unfortunately, I know we've talked about it. He doesn't necessarily bring any key sponsors with him. He does a great job with sponsors once he gets there, but he doesn't have any that have stuck with him and moved with him from team to team. So I think that's a huge uh, downfall, having the zero in the win co- column also another one, obviously. But I think he will f- end up and slot in a an Xfinity Series or Truck Series team. That's where I was going, sorry. The cup level... We don't know for sure yet what the deal with Front Row Motorsports, if they have sold their second charter to the 2311 team or if there is a partnership. We haven't heard anything more uh, about that here in the, in the past couple of weeks. Uh, I think that is a team, too, that I think Matt DiBenedetto's veteran leadership paired with Michael McDowell could take them to yet another new level. Yeah, I, I kind of... That would be good, I guess. But I guess I'd rather see Matt Benedetto go to the Xfinity Series or the Truck Series and do extremely well and challenge uh, some of the newer guys that are coming up, similar to what Justin Algauer has done, than to see him uh, continue to flounder 
in Cup. Matt Benedetto even said that he's kind of missed the boat a little bit. Uh, he he knew his situation, but he didn't necessarily rise to the occasion. And um, uh, he, he did too little too late, if you will, in the Cup Series. So I really see his best opportunity being in the Truck Series or the Xfinity Series, and I hope he's open to that uh, because I think he would really flourish in either one of those series, and I think it would be a really big plus uh, for either of those series for Matt Benedetto to be a part of that. And I think sponsorships uh, could get behind him on that count as well. Uh, if he's at Front Row Motorsports and he's only good at a couple of tracks like Michael McDowell is doing right now, I don't think that's going to be the best move for, my, for Matt Benedetto. That's just my opinion on it. So, Mike, I'm curious to know what you're thinking. Well, it's no secret I'm a Matthew Benedetto fan, so it's it's mm-hmm. painful for me to talk about this, but I hate to say it, I really think the ship has sailed for him. You talk about him going to the Xfinity Series or the Truck Series, I think that would be realistic if we weren't in the current environment of the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series, where if the driver isn't bringing substantial sponsorship to the table and seeking out a ride with a check in their back pocket, it's very unlikely that they get a ride at all. And Matt actually alluded to that during his interview on Sirius XM. He, he has some great partners that he's got at the Wood Brothers between Menards, uh, Motorcraft, Quick Lane, and some of the other sponsors that are on the 21 car, but those sponsors are tied to the Wood Brothers and Team Penske. Matt Benedetto doesn't mm-hmm. have any sponsors that are tied to him on a personal level. So when he's shopping himself around to, if not a cup team, uh, an Xfinity Series team or a Truck Series team, which I believe is even more critical than the Cup Series level, he doesn't have a, a, a financial backer behind him that can say, yeah, if you hire Matt Benedetto, we're going to give you X amount of dollars every year to sponsor the car with Matt Benedetto driving it. He doesn't have that to bring to the table. And the Cup Series is still somewhat merit-based in terms of who gets a ride. But the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series – my understanding is it's single digits or fewer the number of drivers who are hired by a team and then given sponsorship versus drivers who are bringing their own sponsorship to the team to run. So I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Benedetto is on the outside looking in of pretty much everywhere aside from maybe a rotating back marker, uh, you know, Rick Ware Racing, Spire Motorsports kind of equivalent where he does a couple races here and there, maybe fills in for somebody who's injured or something like that. But at this point, I don't want to say never, but I would, I would be kind of surprised to see Matt Benedetto in a competitive full-time ride in any of the top three series next year. Okay. I, I think there are still a couple of spots, and I don't know the exact openings, and uh, I'm not sure if Mike made up those uh, statistics there he had with the uh, Xfinity series. I know we have a couple, but we've seen a couple at the cup level that are under that same category. Uh, and, yes, several of them have migrated down to the Xfinity Series. You have to say it's Justin Allgaier, Michael Annette, um, two that come to my mind. But we also saw it at the cup level with um, Paul Menard uh, as far as having that sponsorship and being able to move to whichever ride they wanted from year to year as they did have the checkbook behind them. But at the cup level, like I said, I think there are a couple opportunities. And, and we haven't seen, I don't think yet, all of the the story develop of who's going to try and run cup next year. 
GMS has talked about it. Uh, they don't have a driver named as of yet. We know Sheldon Creed went over to the Xfinity Series with Richard Childress Racing, so it won't be their driver. College Racing, even if it's not full-time, the team is going to go full-time in order to keep that charter uh, available, split in time with A.J. Allmending or, or others. Daniel Hemrick, we mentioned that now that he's in the College Racing fold. So I, I don't know about a full-time ride, uh, but I do think there's some top teams that – and. It, on the Xfinity side, especially, uh, we don't know yet what's all happening with Joe Gibbs Racing. We see a lot of the ones leaving there, not all of them being filled back in, with the exception of we anticipate Joe Gibbs, or Ty Gibbs. And before I get too long-winded, if you want to jump in here, Sharon. Oh, okay, thank you. Uh, yes, we're at that time of the show where I make an announcement uh, directed specifically at our newest listeners uh, that might be tuning in here tonight. Uh, we're going to go off the air right at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, when we go off the air, we're, you're going to hear us talking, and we'll probably go off the air mid-sentence. So I want to make sure that you know how you can hear the rest of the conversation because we will continue recording the rest of that conversation as part of a bonus overtime material that's available on our podcast. Now, when we get done here, I go out on Twitter let people, to let people know that the podcast is available. Uh, and you can listen to the podcast player either at Blog Talk Radio or at FanforRacing.com. Uh, to hear the rest of the conversation. All you do is just fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation if you've listened up to this point. So, again, we do that for our newest listeners so that nobody's taken by surprise or caught off guard uh, without knowing how they can hear the rest of the conversation. So, Jay, did you have anything more that you wanted to say to I just think there's a couple of spots where we're going to see a team sign a driver, whether it's Matt Deno or not, of a team signing a driver that we haven't even heard anything from yet, a little bit of a surprise. Like I said, GMS Racing, College Racing, we don't know yet what might develop in the Xfinity Series. That's true. Um, My hope is that he, he leaves Cup. My hope is that he he goes to the Xfinity or the Cup Series. I think that I, I know that sponsorship is key, and I understand where Mike's coming from. He makes a very valid point in that regard. Uh, Matt DiBenedetto is one of those drivers that's had a lot of support from other drivers who have really helped him along the way uh, in the Cup Series. And, uh, you know, I don't know that that will happen, but maybe he still has some support there. I'm I'm not sure. But uh, I think people see him as a general overall good guy. Uh, He just needs that that extra support uh, sponsorship. And I'm not sure why the sponsorship eludes him uh, as much as it does. Uh, Results, of course, are big and he hasn't had the results that you expect from a Cup Series driver. So I'd like to see, I think he'd get more sponsorship if he gets an opportunity in the Xfinity Series. I will be there for him. Uh, But somebody's got to kind of step out there, and maybe Colleague is is an organization that could could make that happen. Um, They've got to step up to the plate and maybe give him that opportunity. Uh, It's a little bit of a risk. 
but I think Matt Benedetto would do very well uh, in the Xfinity or the Truck Series. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Uh, Mike, you get the last word there. As a Matt Benedetto fan, there's nothing I'd like to see more than him in victory lane, if not in the Cup Series, in the Xfinity Series, or even in the Truck Series. With that said, he's not an up-and-coming driver anymore. Back when he was getting sponsorship in the 32 from guys like Denny Hamlin, Daryl Waltrip, and Kevin Harvick, he was still an up-and-coming driver. He was still trying to grow his brand and realize his potential and get himself into a top-level ride. Now, the 21 Wood Brothers, you can make an argument that, okay, it's maybe not Tier 1. It's more like Tier 1.25, not quite at the top. But I don't know that anybody, myself included, can make a, a, a strong argument that he's capitalized on that opportunity. He's run slightly better than Paul Menard but slightly worse than Ryan Blaney, the two previous drivers of that car in relatively similar equipment. And the problem he's got going for him is he's 30 years old, which is relatively old to be starting a NASCAR Cup Series career. Now, yes, he's been in the Cup Series for six years now, but realistically, if he's looking to start out fresh with another team, he's on the older end of the spectrum to do that. And if he's going to go back to the Xfinity Series or the Truck Series to try and build the resume that he never got in those series because he went straight to Cup, well, time is going to continue running out. So he goes to the Xfinity Series or the Truck Series for one, two, three years. Now he's in his mid-30s. And if you're not in your peak of your career in your mid-30s in today's NASCAR Cup Series, there's a good chance you're never going to have a high-performing a high career in the Cup Series. It's just unfor- the unfortunate reality of how it is. We'll see how it goes. Like I said, I really hope to see him in a competitive ride. But unfortunately, this may be the end of the road for Matt Benedetto. Okay, Jay, you get the next topic. Well, the next one we had up was the crew chief lineup now for Penske Racing, uh, pairing Jeremy Bullins with Austin Sindrick and Jonathan Hassler with Ryan Blaney and Paul Worth returning, uh, going over to Joey Logano. Okay, Mike. Really no huge surprise here. We knew Todd Gordon was retiring at the end of the season. That was announced several months ago. There wasn't a replacement announced when Todd said he was going to step away, so we knew that there was going to be an announcement coming. Um, Hassler, if, you have, if you're not familiar, he's the current crew chief for Matt Benedetto on the 21 car, which is a Penske-affiliated team. So not a surprise to see him moved over from the 21 into the Team Penske proper house and on the uh, the 22 car. Um, that's not a surprise to see that. Obviously, that leaves an opening on the 21. Who knows? Uh, That's going to shuffle around. Uh, In terms of performance, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, The the, the 21 car hasn't exactly been lighting the world on fire. We just talked about how Matt Benedetto has been doing. Whether you pin it on the crew chief, the driver, the equipment, probably some combination thereof, I don't know. Um, Everyone said Jeremy Bollins was going to drag Brad Keselowski down last year, and what do you know, he made it to the Final Four. So wait and see. Uh, I'm interested to see how it pans out, and I'm going to stay optimistic for him. Okay. Yeah, I I agree. Not a huge surprise here. Uh, Paul Wolf staying with uh, Joey Logano, uh, Jeremy Bollins with Austin Sendrick, and uh, Jonathan Hassler with uh, Ryan Blaney. Uh, I agree with everything that Mike said. I think that uh, it's uh, pretty much uh, expected, and 
we'll have to see what happens for Harrison Burton. I wouldn't be surprised if Harrison Burton brings uh, somebody like Marty Lindley with him to uh, to uh, the Wood Brothers. Uh, him and Marty Lindley have been a good matchup, uh, and uh, that's my prediction for who goes to uh, Wood Brothers. We'll have to wait and see. Jay? Well, I think the interesting thing I look at there is is Paul Wolf. I don't know what his contract with Penske Motorsports is, but he really, I know they separated him and Brad Keselowski, and there maybe have been some hard feelings there. I can't say they had the magic they did at one time, but I also haven't seen that magic out of them as we saw with Brad Keselowski. Not that he hasn't had been a, still been a good, solid crew chief, so... Uh, maybe he ends up at Roush Fenway down the road because I think uh, him and Brad had a good relationship, uh, whether it was a little strained or not. And they, they tried this experiment. Uh, his contract lasts a little bit longer than Brad. Have to wait and see. The one I find interesting, uh, Mike mentioned it, Jonathan Hassler moving over from the 21. When that crew chief change was made, Matt Benedetto picked back up. Uh, and said that was something that he felt, you know, he failed. He should have voiced earlier that it wasn't working with the crew chief, and I can't remember who it was, and I don't want to call him out anyway, but that it just wasn't working, the combination. Uh, When they picked up with Hassler, their performance seemed to pick up. So pairing him with Ryan Blaney, I think, is actually kind of interesting out of that that group that I see the most uh, potential change because we haven't seen yet. Mike, follow up? The uh, Paul Wolf going to Roush Fenway is that's an interesting one right there. Uh, I'm not sure what the what the contract situation is. Like you said, with uh, with Paul Wolf, he may be obligated to Team Penske for us, uh, you know, another year or two, however long the term of his contract is. Maybe Roush Fenway didn't want him. Who knows? There's a lot going on there, and, and I'm not sure what the internal politicking is on it. I know Brad Keselowski was not particularly thrilled with the crew chief change that happened at the beginning of last season. It obviously worked out for him, at least to a certain degree seeing that he was racing for a championship last year in Phoenix, but definitely has not been the strongest performance this year out of the two car, whether that's a, you know, a lame duck kind of thing and Team Penske's closed the notebook to the two team because they know Brad's leaving or, or what the deal is, uh, but the two team has with Jeremy Bollins has not been their typical self this year for whatever reason. Uh, the other uh, candidate that I would have said it would have been high on the list would have been Brian Wilson. He's currently the crew chief for Austin Sindrick in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. So having him move up with Austin Sindrick into the, the, the NASCAR Cup Series team, Penske team, to stay with him in the two – and then shift Jeremy Bolins over to one of the other Team Penske cars, that would have also made a lot of sense, wouldn't surprise me. And he may end up in the 21 with Harrison Burton next year as well. Team Penske has been pretty quiet about what their plans for the Xfinity Series are for next year. We know Austin Sendrick is going to be leaving that 22 car, but we don't know who is going to be going into it, if anybody. They haven't even announced for sure that they're going to be fielding an Xfinity Series car next year. So definitely something to keep an eye on as Team Penske for 2022 starts to take shape. Oh, you bring up a good point there, Mike. I had forgotten about that. Brian Wilson may already be contractually obligated to Wood Brothers, for that matter. Uh, So uh, I I don't know that that's the case, uh, but that wouldn't surprise me either if it is Brian Wilson that goes to that 22. Um, Or is it the 21? The 21 at Wood Brothers. 
So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. I, I've thought Marty literally just because he's worked with Harrison Burton in the past and they've had a lot of success together. But, uh, uh, yeah, that makes sense, too, about Brian Wilson going to that uh, 21 team. So thanks for bringing that up. I don't really have a whole lot to add. So, uh, Jay, I'll pass the baton back to you. All right. Let me Let me take a deep breath here. I think Mike made two good and interesting points. Okay. Whew, got through that. Uh, right, yeah, about let, me, let me get 911 on the other line here just to make sure Jake yeah. can get an ambulance when he needs it. I, 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 had him, I had him ready to call if I needed him. No, you mentioned it. I do think Brian Wilson is one that we will see back at the cup level somewhere along the lines, whether it's at Team Penske, and I do think that maybe moving him up with Harrison Burton would be a good fit um, if they go that route. But the other thing you mentioned there is Team Penske's uh, Xfinity Series program, whether they have a full-time or not, we don't know. We know that there's a Team Penske-affiliated driver in Matt Benedetto that doesn't have a ride. And that made me also think of uh, Stuart Haas Racing, um, that when you talk about at least on the Ford side of maybe looking, because, again, we've talked about these programs that looking for developmental uh teams, the teams for developmental. I know Matt DeVenedetto is not a developmental driver, but keeping that seat available at least uh, and open and running, that might be a good pairing that Ford might step in to look at uh, as far as backing Matt DeVenedetto. Okay, interesting. Um, interesting thoughts there. I've lost track of where I'm in at here. Did we do our round, our follow-up rounds here? We did. I, I think I'm up for the next one if, uh, if, if you're in game for that. Okay. Uh, well, I've got Jay up for the next one. but I'm the one that brought up the crew chief there. Okay. Then, Mike, you're up. Well, I get another speaking of, kind of going with our previous topic that we just had. Speaking of crew chiefs, uh, Greg Zipidelli is coming down from the front office this weekend uh, to work the, the pit box for Kevin Harvick, filling in for the suspended Rodney Childers. So Greg Zipidelli will be the, uh, the crew chief for the number four this weekend at Talladega. Okay, and remind me why uh, Childers was uh, um I believe it was for suspended. two unsecure lug nuts uh, at the end of last week's race. Oh, okay. I was thinking there was something more to that. But, okay, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, he also just signed a contract extension, so uh, I think he's taking his vacation days. He's got a little bit of money in his pocket. <laughs> now, it's coincidental <laughs> that, that that happened following the contract uh, announcement he had re-signed and then uh, have something like this happen. Uh, he's like, well, I, I already signed that. I got a job, so. Now, it happens. I know that the focus is on that, and that's all going to go away next year with this one lug nut deal, which I still don't like, but we won't go down that road or rabbit hole right now. Um, this, I don't think this is going to be a factor, especially at Talladega. The car set up. It is going to be what it is. It's a matter of how they work with the other teammates, other manufacturers, and just in the right position. So, for a crew chief, we've talked about this uh, multiple times throughout the past two to three years. 
the crew chief suspension right now really doesn't seem to be a huge factor. When you have somebody the caliber of Zipidelli coming down out of the competition director uh, position and covering it, I, I don't think you're going to see any kind of difference uh, whether or not he's even contact, in contact with Childers. That team, uh, I don't know that necessarily to even have to be in contact with uh, Rodney Childers during his absence. <laughs> um, at a track like T- Talladega, like I said, uh, a lot of that, the, the crew chief isn't going to have a whole lot of play in. It's more about the spotter and the coordinating amongst other teams. Like I said, that one comes down to uh, who's your partner and buddy at the end. Yeah, I agree with Andy. Andy said I always love seeing Zippy on the box occasionally, uh, but I also agree with Jay. I don't. I think it's a non-factor really, uh, especially at a track like Talladega, and that could be that they tried. To, no, they didn't try anything. You said it was a lug nut thing. Um, yeah, I, I see it as a non-factor. I love uh, Greg Zippadelli. I think he's a great competition director. This hasn't been necessarily their year. Uh, so that he's kind of behind the curve right now, but I, as far as being on top of the pit box, uh, I don't think it's gonna it's gonna be a non-factor. I think Kevin Harvick isn't gonna miss a beat, and uh, you know everything's gonna be as if uh, it was Rodney Childers on top of that pit box. So to me, it's a non-factor. Uh, but we always love seeing Zipidelli, uh at the track. So this is cool from that perspective. <laughs> Mike? Hey, uh, Jay, you still got that ambulance over there? Sure, I'll put them back on hold. What, what do we got? Well, I'm, I'm going to need it because I agree with you now, too. Um, it's in terms of, <laughs> of all the races out of the entire schedule to have a crew chief suspended for, Talladega is probably the one that, with the least impact. Uh, realistically, the crew chief has very little impact in terms of how the race is called because it's called on a manufacturer basis. So if Ford says, hey, we're all going to pit at lap 81 and we're all going to take four tires and fuel, well, if the four team decides they're going to do something different, they're just going to lose the draft. You know, if they take two tires and they're out ahead of everybody, they're going to lose the draft. If they don't take any tires and they're out behind everybody, well, they're going to lose the draft again. So all you, I could sit on the crew box and, and probably call a Talladega race for a team so long as I had the manufacturer in my ear telling me what we're going to do. Um, so as much as I love Greg Zipidelli, and he had such a great career on the pit, uh, pit box calling for, uh, for Tony Stewart, and he does, like you said, he does a great job as a competition director at SHR, I don't, if we hadn't seen the news announced, I don't think we'd even notice that there was a difference with the crew chief on the four car this weekend. Jay, your follow-up? So if the ambulance is leaving Baptist, does he pick you up first on the way to get me, or does he pick me up first, grab you, and then finish up at the hospital? <laughs> Just send a helicopter. Oh, yeah. We haven't been on a helicopter ride. Good call. Um, no, the, the one thing I, I look at here, and it actually kind of leads into my next hot topic, there, there isn't much to say, uh, you know, I – Anybody can, like like Mike said, if the manufacturers are kind of dictating that race, as we've seen in the past, they, they kind of or they have a huge influence anyway. Uh, your your crew chief, uh, other than a secondary spotter or uh, giving fuel fuel advice if it comes down to a fuel mileage, really I don't think plays a huge factor there when it comes to pitch strategy. 
uh, or anything like that and making those calls. So uh, Zipidelli, like you said, be great to see him on the box. I don't think we're going to see any kind of major uh, changes or innovations come for this one race, uh, especially being a one race deal. So uh, I'm with Mike. It's going to be a pretty much seamless thing. Yeah, I have absolutely nothing to add. You guys have really uh, said it all. So, Mike, you get the last word here. Uh, last word. Yeah, like we said, we're, we're all in violent agreement on this one, so we can move on. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jay, you said you've got another topic here. Yeah, it, I didn't. we didn't have it listed, but we've kind of talked about it in the past, and it goes along with this. We've talked about the penalty of – a driver having to start at the back uh, following multiple inspection violations, um, especially, and I hate to call out Hendrick Motorsports, but I think they've done it the most. The reason it came to mind as well now is Martin Truex. I heard an interview with Martin Truex this past weekend. He was one that had to at Las Vegas. And the question was, it was asked of him directly, is it really a penalty? His answer to me kind of implied that, it wasn't, but he didn't want NASCAR to make it. So he did point out you do normally then lose stage points in the first uh, first stage. You got to or you got to work extremely hard to get back in the top ten in stage one to get stage points. But other than that, he's talking about it. You're still getting into the top fifteen, top twenty. It's not a major penalty. So my question is: Is does NASCAR need to look at that and make it a little bit stiffer? Okay, Mike. Yeah, I agree with uh, with Martin Truex that it's not really a penalty. Uh, realistically, the only negative that can come from starting in the rear for most of the top-tier cars, whether it's Hendrick Motorsports, Joe Gibbs, or whatever, is they have to make it through traffic without damaging the car. If they can make it from you know, 35th, 39th, wherever they actually line up uh, after going to the rear, if they can make it back up to the top 10 where their car is normally going to run anyway without damaging the car – they're right back in the race, and the penalty is, is, is taken care of. I would say a much bigger penalty would be losing their pit stall selection. Um, back, when we, back in my day when we did qualifying, um, starting position wasn't really so much what they were racing for. It was pit stall selection, and that was far more important than where the car actually lined up on the grid. And now that pit stall selection, with the exception of the couple races we've had this year with qualifying, now that pit stall selection is automatically granted via that same starting lineup matrix, you don't lose your pit stall selection regardless of how many tech failures you have. And like I said, there's really no penalty beyond that. So I would think if NASCAR wants to put a little bit more teeth into the kind of penalties that will send a car to the rear, namely unapproved adjustments and things like that uh, prior to the race, make them lose their pit stall selection, send them all the way to the rear. Now, that could become a problem because they can, you know, the morning of tech, you know, before the race, uh, it may be impractical to change all everyone's pit stall selection. So say, the, the, you know, Denny Hamlin's got the pole for the race, but he fails tech, and now he's got to drop to the rear. Well, he had the number one pit stall selection, so now all 39, 40, whatever cars, you need to re-roll the pit stalls. That's not really practical. So maybe they lose pit stall selection for the next week or something like that. So maybe it doesn't disadvantage them on the weekend that they failed tech, but now they've got a penalty that they need to serve the next weekend in, in the form of the, uh, the last place pit, pit stall selection. 
Yeah, I do agree that NASCAR needs to reevaluate the penalty system because sometimes it just doesn't feel like a penalty at all. Uh, It feels like it's real easy to overcome it. Yeah, they lose that maybe that first stage uh, top ten, but a track like uh, some of these tracks, you can get to the front pretty quickly and still be in the top ten by the time the stage ends, depending on on uh, the situation, but yeah, I, I don't think it's much of a penalty. Uh, I do think that NASCAR needs to evaluate it. Uh, Mike brings up an interesting idea, uh, but I think they've got to do something that makes it hurt a lot more. Uh, I, you know how I feel about the kind of the, uh, if you ain't cheating, you're not trying mentality. Um, but uh I just think that cheating is cheating, and it's not a good message. It's not a good role model uh, for, you know, to put out to our kids. And uh, I I don't care for it. Uh, But I do think that NASCAR needs to really take a look at uh, how these guys are kind of uh, manipulating the system, if you will, in order to try out different things with not a lot of big consequence for doing so. So that's just my thoughts on it. So, Jay? Well, and Sharon, you, you, you didn't even say it. Uh, you know these guys are pushing, pushing that limit. You know, once, it, once is an accident, twice is a coincidence, mm-hmm. third time it's a habit. So yep. what, what I think, and I don't know if, if in one weekend it would be as much, but we've seen it uh, in two of the series two points meant making the playoffs or not, or making the next round. Okay. If you got to go through the inspection line a second time, it costs you a point. If you got to go through a third time, it costs you two points, you know, put a, put a point or two with it. Not only then are you, if you're starting at the back and this to me would be the, in addition to starting at the back, because Martin Truex uh, pointed that out when we talked about it, nobody had really talked about that of it. It really wasn't a disadvantage you are possibly losing out on picking up those playoff points, the stage points in stage one. Uh, but they normally are either close to close to it being in contention or be able to set themselves up for stage two in the finish. And that's where I don't feel like it is a much of a penalty. So like I said, take that one or two points. Keep a running total throughout the year, uh, especially that way come playoff time, you're not going to risk it. If you've been caught once or twice and taken a point here, a point two, by the time we get to the playoffs, if you have to go through that 10th time for the year, it's going to cost you 10 points. You ain't going to risk it come playoff time because 10 points is huge at that point. Yeah, every time I think every time you get caught, you add on another point. That's a good idea. Points even. Mike? Yeah, you're, that's the thing is – there's a lot, the NASCAR's most common penalties that they hand out are either fines or positional, you know, dropping to the rear of the field. Those are by far and away the most common fines or common penalties. And then crew chief suspension is another one that's fairly common. All of those penalties have pretty much no teeth to them. Big teams like Hendrick Motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, they don't care about a fine. That's just an extra zero to add it to the, to the bill they send to the sponsor. That's not a big deal at all. And sometimes it can be a tactical decision of, is it worth that extra tenth of a second on the pit stop to have our crew chief not here next week? Well, 
Maybe mm-hmm. it is, and you're not going to. You're going to intentionally leave those lug nuts loose, knowing that you can afford the ten thousand dollar fine and to not have your crew chief there, because what you're going to win in the race is going to make up for it. But like Jay said, there are some penalties that hurt. Points hurt far worse than money for these teams, because points do translate into money at the end of the season. So, like you said, if they miss the playoffs or the next round of the playoffs because of a points penalty that they've occurred through failing tech. Well, that, there's a significant sponsor incentives that they could potentially lose out on for not making it into the playoffs or make it as far as they claim they're going to be able to when they, they present their value package to the sponsors. So that is a significant penalty that uh, impacts them immediately as well as in the future in terms of finances. And the other, point, uh, the other penalty uh, that can affect them, like I said, is the pit stall selection or something that is a little bit more permanent in terms of they can't just race their way back to the front of pit road. They're stuck in whatever pit stall spot they're in for the entire race versus if you start in 30th, well, you're only in 30th until they throw the green flag and then you can race your way out of the front and the penalty's gone. So those are really the, the, the penalties that you could enforce. If you really wanted to get creative, you know, do hockey style penalties where you, know, you, you, you instead of having five, uh, five men over the wall, you can only have four men over the wall this weekend or for, you know, for one of the stages of the race, you can only have four men over the wall. So how are your pit stops going to go? I don't know. Figure it out. You shouldn't have failed tech. So there are ways to penalize race teams that are going to hurt them far more than sending them to the back of the field or just hitting them with a monetary fine. And if they're worried about teams not cheating or not pushing the rules, well, maybe they need to get real about putting in some penalties that actually do hurt them. And I I agree. I think that I really like the cumulative effect. The more times you get caught, the bigger the fine gets or the bigger the points penalty gets. Um, and and I like the idea of the pit road thing. You know, you've got, uh, you know, being short of a uh, crew member. Uh, you send a crew member home. And so you have fewer crew members that you've got to make do on pit road. Uh, there's got to be something that really hurts them. I'd rather send a crew member home than to send the, the crew chief home. <laughs> uh, I really think that they've got to uh, do something that really hurts these teams, especially for the ones that are repeat offenders. And uh, I'm not, we've already mentioned some of the repeat offenders here. Uh, they keep doing it because it doesn't really hurt them, and that's why they keep doing it. The idea when you do a penalty is to keep them from doing the same things uh, repeatedly. And I think if you if you uh, have a cumulative effect where each time you do it, the next time you do it, the fine is bigger, the penalty is bigger, the points are bigger, uh, I think that that would eliminate these guys uh, continuing to do it. You're still going to have people playing games. They're going to do it once or twice anyway. Uh, just to, you know, they're going to play the system. But the bigger the accumulation of points, uh, the less chance that they're going to repeat it. So I like that idea. Okay. Well, I like the creativity and thought process uh, where Mike went with the pit road thing. Uh, I think, uh, I don't remember if it's him that brought it up before we talked about that though. Then you get into a safety issue because now if you're down one less person, somebody's trying to do too Mm -hmm. much or you're on pit road longer, there was some other issues that come into play there, but 
I like that thought process of find something that really does affect the team. They're having to work from behind. And just going to the rear of the field, we've seen it, especially we mentioned the top two that we've talked about most throughout the year, Hendrick Motorsports and Joe Gibbs Racing. They go to the back. It's really not affecting them. Uh, Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, Martin Truex, Kyle Busch are still going to storm through the field and get up there and contend for the win anyway. So I do think they need to look at something uh, somewhere that, that puts, Mike like to say, it, a little more bite to it. Okay. We're coming up on the top of the hour here, so uh, let's go ahead and do our uh, roundtable. Mike, we'll start with you. Sure, it's going to be Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Going to the race this weekend, I'm going to be at Talladega. It sounds like we've got quite a gang going there. I'm going to be there. Andy's going to be there. And Tommy's going to be there. I'm not sure where Tommy's sitting at. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to talk to him and figure that part out. But I know me and Andy are sitting right next to each other in the grandstand, so maybe we can talk Tommy cool. into joining us. We'll see. Uh, and uh, maybe we'll get a couple pictures of there. I don't know. We're going to be busy watching the races this Sunday, and it's going to be great. I can't wait. Okay, Jay. Uh, you can follow me, Michael Hoosman, on Facebook, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And I am not scheduled to work anywhere this weekend, so I'll give you a variety. Might end up sitting with Andy and Mike there at Talladega. Might be over at the Hornet's <laughs> Nest, which is the dirt track next to it. Greenville Speedway is three mile or. Three hours to the west. The Gumbo Nationals is this weekend. So I uh, don't know where I'm going to pop up. Uh, might sit at home and watch the races from my couch, too. I don't know yet. Uh, but hey, I will be involved uh, with racing. What's that, Mike? Yeah, if you're looking to go to Talladega on Sunday, hit me up. I'll give you a ride. Okay, yeah, I, it's a possibility. Like I said, uh, I had entertained it. Uh, I know when you mentioned it Monday night, I thought about it and uh, – I hadn't had the opportunity yet to meet Andy, so I thought that'd be cool. And I heard Tommy's going now. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, I wish I could join you guys down there. That would be so cool for us to have a fan for racing crew uh, get together there. Uh, but I don't think I can make that happen this weekend. But So I'm envious of all you guys that are going to be going. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I am Fan for Racing Sites on Twitter, Fan for Racing Blog and Radio everywhere else, and uh, including FanForRacing.com, where we post uh, a lot of the recaps and information about what's going on within NASCAR and Arkham Menard Series. So um, a big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate all of you, whether you're listening to the podcast or the live broadcast. Uh, We appreciate you taking the time to hear what it is that we have to say. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again on Monday night when we do the review of the racing at Talladega and at Salem Speedway. So uh, definitely looking forward to this weekend of racing. Uh, A shout-out to our Fan for Racing crew. As you mentioned earlier, we've got three members that are going to be at the racetrack this weekend with Tommy, Mike, and Andy. And uh, I know those guys are going to have a lot of fun. Uh, And, uh, Jay, thanks for being here. And uh, if you guys go to the racetrack, uh, I know Tommy mentioned that he was looking forward to writing the Fan at the Track uh, article for the website. So uh, take pictures and uh, uh, think about uh, writing something about your experience at Talladega this weekend on fanforacing.com.
So with that, guys, I think we're ready to call it a night. All right, good night, everybody. All right, good night. Good night, everybody. Take care. See you. Talk to you on the other side.